When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, this episode of An Eternity of Basketball is part of the Globally Ballin' Podcast Network, a subsidiary of the Globally Ballin' Media Network. For this show and other shows like it, such as the Globally Ballin' Podcast, as well as projects like it, such as original articles and video work, visit globallyballin.com now. If you like this show, be sure to subscribe to it, as well as give it a five-star rating and a review. We appreciate it. Now, to the show. All right, this is episode 26 of An Eternity of Basketball. And this morning here in Manila, we have the great privilege to have with us one of the uh, few resident imports ever in PBA history. So he comes to us. He was part of the Alaska Milkmen, the Air Force, the Aces. So he was there throughout the big chunk of the success of that Alaska franchise. Of course, I'm Charlie Kuna together with Sid Ventura, Noel Zarate. And today we have with us Mr. Sean Chambers, the second Mr. 100%, but to the fans of the Alaska Aces, he will always be number one in their hearts. So, Sean, welcome to our show. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here. Um, and shout out to you guys. I've been watching all your shows, and I got a chance to see the one with, uh, with Coach Tim. And, and was it Francis Weiser? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I watched that. That was really a good interview. So I really enjoyed watching these shows. It's been pretty cool to, to reminisce some of the Filipino legends. Well, that's that's great to hear Thank that, you. that you're enjoying. You. And, and then, yeah, there's a lot of people obviously tuned in right now uh, waiting to hear what you have uh, to share with us based on your stories. How did Sean Chambers get into basketball to start with? Uh, was it your first love as a sport? Uh, did your, did someone influence you to get into this, uh, this sport, which you would take to the Philippines and you'd be here for, for such a long period of time? Yeah, that's a good question, man, because I really grew up starting playing baseball when I was younger. Um, I lived in a part of Sacramento where most of the guys, we all play baseball. And then um, going into my middle school years in high school, um, we relocated from the south side of Sacramento to the north side. Um, and then everybody that was living on the north side, they were kind of affiliated with the United States uh, Air Force Base. And the Air Force Base had such an international feeling, and a lot of the guys were all drawn to playing basketball. And once I actually got my first taste of basketball, I was all in because um, I was high energy, play play with so much intensity, and I could never get enough of it. So it just fit uh, my my blood. How about how, how old were you when you started getting into basketball? Uh, really, I started late, so it was really going into my eighth grade year, eighth mm-hmm. about 13, 14 years old. Uh, but when I started, I was like, I was like a locomotive train. Like I couldn't stop, you know, I was just training and training and training, practicing. And I always just wanted to work harder than everybody else. So it was just a, like an addictive thing to me. Well, Sean, when you were starting out playing basketball, uh, that everybody, you said 13, 14, that's a time when usually a lot of, a lot of kids your age would have a growth spurt that you got stuck at six, one, but you still played yeah. on the inside. Uh, how'd that work out for you? So uh, what happened was um, when I was coming up with my, my eighth and ninth grade year, I was training so hard, but I was training to be super athletic. So I was running hills and running bleachers and running stairs. 
So at 6'1", um, I was very dominated around the basket, even in high school. And so I had a, a thing where uh, I hated missing. I didn't like missing a lot of shots. I always wanted to be proficient as possible. So the closer I was by the rim, the way I could be more prolific around the basket was where my comfort zone was. Um, it wasn't until later on, like going into the 96 season and 95 season, I stayed with uh, one of my teammates, Rural Gomez, uh, stayed the whole year and worked with Kim Tom, Coach Tim and started to improve my mid-range jumper. And, you know, from 95, 96 is when I was probably at the top of my game because of that. Was it tough? I mean, because you, you did uh, say that you're trying to get as close to the basket as you can, but you're not one of the biggest guys on the court. I'm sure you played against guys in the States, especially it's normal to have six, 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 seven, maybe six, 10 guys playing right. with you. So how, how, what, what did you do to become effective, even if these big guys were there in front of you? So, so my skill level would, would work for me. And we kind of put everybody in kind of a mix was like, if you put a bigger guy on me, they still would come away from the basket. And so I was, uh, able to create like a, a crossover dribble, my little, my go-to moment, I would fake right, go left. And I had a quick step. So I was very explosive off my, my first step or second step. So it made the, it made it difficult for the big guys to cover me because then I would get out and run on break. So they couldn't keep up with me running the court. So then you would put a little guy on me and then, um, and then the little guy would be too small to play with me around the basket because I can, you know, I was just some, such a, so, some bigger time athlete than those guys that can cover me. Mm -hmm. So the guy that was most effective with against me really were the guys that were like six, five, six, six. Those were the guys that I was like, okay, I, they were probably still athletic enough to stay in front of me, create backup. So I didn't blow by them. And, or um, I, they were too big for me to really jump over. Like I was doing against the six, one, six, two, six, three guys. Okay. I'm sure when you were starting out, Sean, you had a role <coughs> model to pattern your game after, even if you did start off late, who were your early role models, NBA players, or probably some college players as well? Yeah, so <clears throat> Adrian Dantley was a, was a classic back-to-the-back mm. -back player. Yeah. Uh, Mark yeah, right, Mark Aguirre was another, like, kind of a post-up guy that I, I love Mark Aguirre's game growing up, you know, mm -hmm. and then I was a super fan of uh, Dr. J. So Dr. J was flying <laughs> and jumping over people, but then Mark Aguirre, Adrian Dantley, they would back guys up at their size, and they were super effective uh, around the basket. So – um, they were six, what, six, four, six, five, even mm -hmm. Charles Barkley, you know, just a little taller than me, but they made a great career in the NBA by being right. able to have a post-up game because most guards couldn't defend it because they didn't work on it. You know, it's funny yeah, they, because, they were, uh, yeah. those, those two players, sorry, Gardis, those two players yeah, were yeah. traded for each other, right? Yeah. In, yeah. Uh, in yeah, 89, yeah. uh, depriving Dantley actually of a, a ring, which I think he's still, upset about uh up to this yeah, day I don't but think he doesn't get that ring but you know <laughs> but you think about it, adrian Dell it was an all-star you know right. and a lot of people didn't know that back then he was an all-star with the skill level that he had and he never stepped away from the basket um mm -hmm. and so was mark mcguire mark mcguire was an all-star and he was pretty much effective completely everything around the basket by up and unders and drop steps or using the backboard adrian dantley was the one that got me using the backboard he was a phenomenal shooter off the backboard Yeah, Dante was was amazing. Um, he was compared, yeah. he was compared uh, to guys like Chamberlain and 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 Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, as guys who can effectively score inside. But he was shorter than them by a foot and a half. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he was really one of the guys that I kind of draw to. And then, like I said, Dr. J. You can run down the court and 
jump fly by people and then dunk over them was like such an, an exhilarating feeling, you know. <laughs> well, later on in the NBA, who did you see Sean Chambers like when the NBA started developing? Of course, the games changed a lot. But who sort of plays like uh, Sean Chambers when you were watching the NBA uh, as an older person? Um, again, uh, at my age, it was still Charles Barkley. So Charles Barkley, you know, he moved away from the basket later on in his career. And that mm -hmm. kind of influenced me to, to do the same with my game. As I, like I said, in 95 and 96, I started stepping away a little bit more from the basket. Um, but then I, I'm trying to think, who would I say like nowadays? Um, I, I will say this, you know, my, I'm nowhere near Kobe Bryant, but Kobe Bryant became more effective when he was doing more around the basket moves, you know? He was able to get the smaller guards to the basket, and he was able to create offense with back to the basket. Uh, but he was by far more prolific, be able to step away as well. So he became so incredible, gifted when he was able to go both ways, inside and outside. You know, and a lot of the NBA guys are not like that. They're pretty much, um, I won't say one trick ponies, but they're they're kind of like you're a three point shooter, you're a pick and roll mm -hmm. guy, or yeah. you um, a pick and pop guys nowadays. So. Um, even today, you know, there's not a lot of backup post players like there used to be, like in the PBA, when we had June Linput and Noli Luxine and Dennis Espino, you know, we don't really have a lot of those guys anymore. Danny I, for that matter. Danny I was pretty much incredible right. uh, with his back to the basket. He was unstoppable. When you Sean, were... Yeah, well, go ahead, Sid. Go ahead, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Sean, you, uh, you attended Cal Poly uh, for your uh, collegiate experience. Could you just uh, tell us about uh, what happened there? So um, I, I believe God has always had a plan in my life, and I'm so blessed to be in the situation I, I'm in today. And even still uh, continue to receive these blessings from the Philippines. But I believe a lot of it started with my history at Cal Poly. So, so I started off, a lot of people know, I started off at a junior college called Cuesta College. Right, it's right. a small junior college in, Sac in San Luis Obispo, same place as Cal Poly. And I became kind of a local star there at the junior college it was like such a wave of support and became kind of a little local celebrity at the junior college so then i'm end up going to the university and going to san Luis Obispo, and um i became the first basketball all-american actually i'm the only basketball all-american in the school history like my plaques up here right here um, <laughs> um and so um, I had pretty much the whole town of San Luis Obispo were coming out to our games and they were coming in to support us. So it started preparing for me to stay humble, uh, appreciate the success, the success that I'm having in basketball, but always, you know, thank God and thank God for putting me in this place to be successful, but stay humble and, and you'll always continue to be rewarded and always, always include your teammates in all your success because you don't do anything without your teammates. So, um, I just had a, just an amazing um, career. Like I had a chance to go to Loyola Marymount and then I had a chance to go to Fresno State and I was also getting recruited by UNLV back then when T Jerry Tarkenny was there. Okay, yeah. So, uh -huh. but I ended up like something kept me at Cal Poly and I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, so right now I'm, I'm inducted into the Cal Poly Hall of Fame and it is, if you don't know anything about Cal Poly, it's one of the most prestigious universities in California. It's an amazing place to go to. I was just there actually yesterday. We were with my family. We were in San Luis Obispo visiting. And um, it's just an amazing university. It's an amazing place to go to school. It's, an, it's a high-level education. And to be enshrined into the university's Hall of Fame that will be there until this school, right, forever, um, I will be enshrined at that university because of my choice of going there.
So forever grateful for my experience at Cal Poly. Two-time your... league championships. We were two-time league championships, and I was two back-to-back league MVP of the league. So amazing. I was player of the year back-to-back, yeah. So just an amazing career there. Um, back then, our rivals were like UC Riverside, who's also D1 now, mm-hmm. um, Bakersfield. Um, we played at University of Irvine, um, mm-hmm. uh, University of Riverside. And uh, those were kind of our – and Northridge were our main uh, competition back then. And they're all mm-hmm. – basically, it's kind of funny. They're all D1s now, but they're all – Yeah, right. They're all the same teams. Yeah. They're still in the same league, yeah. You know, but yeah. you, you you mentioned Cal Riverside. They just hired a yeah. Filipino coach. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I saw that. Yeah, I'm going to get a chance to Ma- go down. Yeah, Mike Mapayo. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so that, that, that's I a great that. development, right? I mean, you know, a that's Filipino awesome. heading a D1 uh, program. That's amazing. Who was your coach when you were at, at Cal Poly? And was he your coach for, for all the years you were there? And, and what did he teach yeah. you? See, and that's kind of funny because I that's another good story. So I, my first coach there was a guy named Ernie Wheeler. So Ernie Wheeler was kind of a straight disciplinary guy. Um, just real tough-minded. Um, and he was good for me because um, I had to basically man up in a lot of situations. Um, a lot of situations I had to grow up uh, a lot faster than what I was doing at the junior college. But then due to some issues with him at the university, they let him go going into my senior year. And then a guy named Steve Beeson took over. So we had to go through that adjustment of, of – First time ever I ever had a coach that I signed with or for high school or junior college or college that ended up getting fired right before the next season. So that was a very uh, tough time because I was thinking about transferring, leaving the university. But I'm glad I stayed, and we ended up winning another championship after that. Um, so those were my two college coaches in two years at the university. All right. Just wondering, you know, looking at your bio, um, you were yeah. you were more you were known as a basketball player. But also, you right. got some some looks as as a, a guy who was uh, involved in athletics, especially the high jump. Um, okay. There was also a story that uh, you were supposed to be part of the U.S. Olympic team, but not as a basketball player, but as a high jumper. Right. What's that right. story like? Okay, that is a kind of a false story, but true story all at the same okay. time. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, so I was a really good high jumper, but I was not a great high jumper. So what happens is when I was at junior college, I high jumped seven, like seven foot, almost one inches um, and took third in the state championships. And I took in high school, I jumped seven foot and I took third in the California state championship. So back then, the limit was if you jump seven foot, you automatically got an invite to the United States Olympic trial. Mm-hmm. OK, so um, now I think the height is like seven, three, seven, four. You have to jump that in order to get invited. So I could have got invited to the Olympic trials, but I think the guy that was representing the United States Olympics in high jump was jumping like seven seven and seven eight and seven six. <laughs> wow! I was nowhere clear of that. I was nowhere uh-huh. close to that. So, and, and 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 full disclosure, I never practiced. I just jumped over the bar. So, and one <laughs> of my best friends, Mike Bradley, uh, that I one of my high school buddies, he was my so-called coach. And the way he would coach me would always tease me like, oh, you barely made it over the bar. What are you, what are you doing? Come on. You can do better than that. And little did I know I'd be like five feet over the bar. But I, I just kind of took one, two, three, four steps like I would do dunk a basketball. And I would just turn over. So and I, because <laughs> of my work ethic of running and training to get better for basketball so I can jump over people, it just worked for high jumping. 
and I had a pretty, I actually had a really phenomenal career in high jumping that, um, that's, I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty cool, you know. <laughs> Would have been great if you made the Olympics though, but, uh, but the high jumping has a lot to do with technique, right? And, and, and I guess repetition yeah. and all of that. So you, you probably didn't have the same passion doing that right. as you did for basketball. My training was going to basketball practice and I would make sure I would, when I would dunk in basketball practice or going to open gym, I would dunk backwards. So that would be my training <laughs> for high. I, I promise you. And, and, and my coach in the junior college, my track coach would be so upset with me because he wanted me out on the track to work on technique and my run up and my back, my flip over the bar. But I'm like, coach, I'm really not a high jumper. I'm only doing it because you're asking me to and it's fun. I go, but I'm a basketball player. I need to be in the gym getting better. So. It was always, we were always bumping head in junior college, but my high school coach, he knew, he was like, you're a basketball guy, just go jump over the bar every now and then and come back when, you know, go back and play basketball. So he was all good. My college coach. Yeah, no, go ahead. Not, not so good. My college coach was not so good. He was like, no, you need to be out here training. So <laughs> Before Sid asks ask his, his, his question, uh, I just want to say that we're the opposite, Sean. You know, I tried out for the basketball team, but I ended up being a high jumper. In high school, oh, okay. So, okay. we're the opposite. So go ahead, Sid. No, yeah. Well, no, I just wanted to, get to uh, jump right into what happened after you uh, finished at the uh, Cal Poly, and uh, you got called up to represent the uh, Los Angeles Jaguars in this new tournament being held here in the Philippines, the PBA right. IBA World Challenge. How did how did that happen? Uh, how were you so, uh, informed of the formation of that team? So. Um, Invited to go try out to this IBA All-Stars. Um, it was going to be in Los Angeles. And when I got there, I thought it was absolutely nuts because I believe it was like somewhere two to 300 guys there for a tryout spot that they were only going to take, I believe, 10 guys out of this camp to go to Fresno for the overall camp to make this team. So I'm like, there's no way on God's green earth I'm going to make this, this team, right? There's no way. And I'm coming from back then, Cal Poly was uh, – Cal Poly was a small school, small compared to UCLA and all the other bigger schools, right? So I go to this trial and I played phenomenal. And lo and behold, I get called and say, hey, you made it. You're going to now go to Fresno. I mean, just you can't even make this up, right? You can't even make this up. So I go from there. Out of 300 guys, I'm one of 10 guys that make it to go to Fresno. We get to Fresno and it's like now 60 guys because there's guys from all over the country. It was a, there was a tryout in L.A., there was a tryout in New York, there was a tryout in Chicago, and there was a tryout in Dallas. So we all did now all meet in Fresno be, to try to do like a, a camp, or a, and then all together from there, we we're going to go tour Korea, Philippines. We had a stop in Hong Kong and Japan. So I go there, and again, I'm like the last guy who's supposed to make the team, I'm sure. And then I just wild the coaches and wild the staff, and out of the 60 guys, um, I make the team. Um, and then again, I'm from the small university and I'm not supposed to be one of the last guys to be playing. I just watched a couple of the videos. I have the video when the, it was on ESPN when we played in Korea. I played the most minutes out of everybody. I scored, I had the highest scoring average of everybody and yet was the most unheralded player of everybody that was on that team. But it was just all pure desire and work ethic. Just, yeah, to be, uh, yeah. just to inform the viewers, this team was composed of players 6'3 and below, right? That The league was for... 6'5. Oh, 6'5 and below, six, five and below. sorry. 6'5, yeah, 6'5 and, and below. Yeah, this yeah. is a 6'5 and under league uh, that the yeah. 
they were trying to form, right? So yeah, you, you and so from there, your... yeah, so from there we we got a chance to go to Korea, and it, it's such an amazing. I got this game on tape, and I was watching with my son, and it's so cool to go back and watch it. You know, it was just such a great feeling. But then we go to the Philippines. Um, had no idea. I told we flew in like at nighttime in Manila. Had no idea anything about the Philippines and things like that. Um, and everybody was just one guy, Ray Hall. You guys may remember Sugar Ray, Ray Hall. Hall. Yeah, I was going to ask about him. Yeah. So Ray Hall kept telling us the whole trip. Once we get to the Philippines, we can all get a contract. We can all get paid. We can all leave with a team if we play well there. And the rest of us had no idea what he was talking about. Zero. We had no idea. We were just happy to make the team. We we're happy. We we're traveling across the country. We we're like, you know, country places we never heard of in our in our life. We never thought about my life ever, ever, ever imagined going to the Philippines. You know, never in my life would I imagine going to Korea. I went to Hong Kong and Japan. So we were just happy for the trip. And so when we got over to the Philippines and saw the love of basketball in our first basketball game, then we were just all completely blown away. Everybody on that team was. What was your what was your first impression when you got to the Philippines? I know you came in at night, but with, uh, when it turned into day, what was your first impression of the country? So, um, in all honesty and disclosure, because you know I love the country, this is my second home. But when I got there in nineteen, I think that was nineteen eighty eight or eighty seven. Eighty seven. Seventy seven. Yeah, eighty seven. So when we got there in eighty seven, um, we were still going through major changes in the country, you know, and major uh, transfer transitioning from the old regime to the new regime. Yep. And so, you know, there were a lot of um, hard hit places in the Philippines that I've never seen in my life. So I got out, I remember we flew in at nighttime, we go to Rojas Boulevard and we stayed at a hotel over there. Um, almost Salais Hotel. It was the yeah, Salais nice. Hotel. Yeah. We stayed at the Salais Hotel. There was a nice disco. We went to the Stargazer up top. Yes, we did. So... <laughs> Yeah, so I get up and I decide, like I've done in some of the other places, I, I just naturally done this in every place I've been. Just went out and just kind of walked the street to kind of get a feel for where I'm at. I got a feel for the my surroundings. I got a feel for what it felt like in the city and the culture. Um, and pretty much every place I played, I've done this. I just kind of go out and go walk. And so I got out to Rojas Boulevard, and it was kind of the first time I've ever seen at that time. It, it, again, it was a lot tougher then than it is now, um, like a third world country and the country that was going through so much transition and, you know, um, people actually working in the streets and um, riding in a jeepney and, and things of that nature. Um, so it, it was it was a little bit shocking. I was like, whoa, you know, where, what's going on here? Where, where am I at? Uh, and then um, I, after my first or second day there, I realized that Everybody in the country only wants your respect. Don't disrespect them. Appreciate the place that you're in, but appreciate that they're hardworking Filipinos and they're not looking for sympathy. Just appreciate the work that they're doing. I was all in after my third or fourth day in the Philippines. I was like, I want to come back and live here. So, so what, what, what was that? What was the turning point for you? Why did you want to become part of the Philippine culture? Uh, because that's how I grew up. Because I grew up single mother. We grew up uh, very not as fortunate as other kids in my community. Uh, my mother really struggled hard for us to to make it, and we were we were kind of a every we scrapped for everything we had in our life. I mean, I mean, really, we really scrapped, and um, 
struggled to to make ends meet every day in our lives in Sacramento. And um, and I felt like I can appreciate this work ethic that's happening in the Philippines and what people go through to be um, to, to live, you know, daily. And so um, and then also I knew that I would never put myself above anybody that was there in the Philippines or feel like I was bigger or better or deserve more um, than anybody that was there. One of my biggest moments in the Philippines was in that tournament, again, un unbeknownst to me, I probably won't do it today, but I went up and set up in the crowd with the Hinebra crowds up in the top bleachers at the <laughs> ultra. And, and, and all the, the newspaper reporters were like, whoa, what's going on with this guy? What's he doing up there? You know, I'm like, no, I'm okay. I'm fine. I want to go watch it with the, you know, the people that I want to rub elbows with. So, and that became kind of a legendary story that I was sitting there with the yeah. cheering with the Hinebra fans who later became the ones who cheered against me the most. Yes, oh, definitely. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, they showed you a lot of hate, which is a lot of yeah. love, actually. Yeah, yeah. Over here. I wanted to ask about the team, Sean, the LA Jaguars. You were practically yeah. just fresh out of college. You were a young kid, yeah. maybe 21, mm -hmm. 22. How about the other guys? Were they about the same age? Were they fresh grads? Or were some of them veterans who had played already abroad or, or in other pro leagues uh, in, in the States? Russell Brown was a guy who'd been around. Um, he played in the NBA for a little bit, Indiana Pacers. And he uh, was a, a graduate from University of Arizona. He was kind of like our older statesman. Ray Hall was a guy who's been out of college, I think maybe one or two years, and had been playing in the CBA. Uh, but for the most of part of it, most of us was like right out of, out of college. And most of us was straight. That was our senior year in college, and then we toured that year. So great guys. Um, uh, Bobby Ray Crockett, I believe his name, I just saw that he passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, rest his soul. Um, but he was my roommate, um, Roy Hubbard. I mean, there were some really good guys. You know, mm -hmm. I actually was going through looking at those videos. I was kind of looking up on social media to see if I can find some of those guys. And yeah. I found Ray Hall. And I told Ray Hall I wouldn't be where I was in the Philippines if it wasn't for him. So mm -hmm. he, he thanked well, me he was, he was great. He was a great player. We remember yeah. Sugar Ray Hall, yeah. they called him. And he was yeah. he, yeah. he got a call. And he also played as an import, right? Yeah, yeah. Food. Yes. But he got injured. I think he got injured. So he, he wasn't broke his hand. Yeah, 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 diving for diving for a loose ball. I remember yes, that. Uh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. He broke well, his hand. He was having a great career there, and he broke his hand. I think in the in a game and never came back again. But it was yeah. just the two of you who made it uh, as imports. I mean, because he was saying mm -hmm. that a lot of you might get contracts, but it just ended up the two of you, right? Right. It was just the two of us, and um, um, and, and I don't know. I don't know why that was because uh, there were yeah. some other kid guys that were they're pretty talented. But I think mm -hmm. uh, Ray and I both um, had such a an instant love for the Philippines and the Philippine culture. Yeah. I remember uh Sean before you guys flew flew in there was a lot there was a lot of hype in the media about this uh this team uh coming in to play uh the, the top 3 teams of the the all Filipino conference. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. uh one of the reports that came in was when a former import tried out but didn't make the cut and it, it was I think it was Jeff Collins who actually won best import in 1980 five yeah but then we're uh -huh. hearing he got cut so uh i remember thinking man how good are these guys if jeff yeah. collins wasn't able to make the, the final yeah. 12 so you know there's a lot of mystique uh when you guys uh uh were, were about ready to uh, to play no one knew what to expect you know scouting back then wasn't there was no internet right. no yeah. social media right so then you 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 play and then uh, what was your first impression on 
uh, on the Philippine uh, style of play. I, I can't remember who which team you played against first, but yeah, uh, how was that? Uh, I don't remember, but I, I we were very good. We were a very talented team. It was kind of fun to play. We played a fast pace, and um, um, we were very talented. We had such a good group of guys, a little bit of everything. Um, Larry Middleton was really amazing. Larry I don't know if you guys remember that guy. Larry Middleton, I don't know if he came back or not, but he had a, I just saw – he just retired playing somewhere in Europe just now at like at 44. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, no, almost 50. He's almost 50. So like he's almost 50. He just, <laughs> Yes. I just saw that. He, he retired like late 40 something. But Larry Middleton was such a, an amazing player. He would have been in a rock. He would have been an amazing player in the Philippines, but he ended up finding a home in Europe somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. But um, all I remember that tournament is that Philip Cesar hit me in the back of my head. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and after That's not surprising, the actually. Night, I remember Philip Cesar. I remember Philip Cesar hit me in the back of my head. I don't even remember who won that or if we won it or not. I don't even think we won it. I don't think we did. You did. You did. You guys you beat you great taste. Yeah. Okay. You guys beat so great taste beat in the championship. With yeah. Dexter Shout. Uh, yeah, uh, great days had. I think they recruited oh, Shouts Bobby. and Bobby played just, for San Miguel. San yeah. Miguel. Okay, so we beat Bobby San Miguel. Okay, so we did win it. So yeah, I do remember that we did win it. So, um, but I remember Cesar was he playing with Great Taste at the time? Yes, yeah. he was. Okay, it was in a championship game. That's what it was. Championship game. He elbowed me in the back of my head super hard. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> I remember that. But I remember Dexter Shout was absolutely phenomenal player. He was so talented. I remember he was talented. And yeah, uh, I believe they had the Twilight. Did they have Twilight at the time? Great taste back then? Yes. Twilight. Yeah. So he was also very talented for his size. And, and I remember I was amazed by Mon Fernandez playing with San Miguel at his height, what he can do. And I've always been a fan of Hector Kama um, from that day. Uh, watching his point guard skills was amazing. Um, no offense to Hector, but I thought Hector was so incredible until I met a guy by the name of Johnny Aberrant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, a lot of people feel up, the same way. Yeah, just to follow <laughs> yeah. up on, on Sid's question, you know, you just came yeah. from Korea. You had a Korean basketball was, you know, they just like, they just love to shoot. But when you that, come to exactly. the Philippines, the physicality level just got just got up may probably even <laughs> worse than in the Shocking. nba or just just tell us about the adjustment to the physicality that you Shocking. had to go <laughs> you're you're 100% right because what we did we had a couple of scrimmages in fresno we had a couple of teams come and play i think we played like the canadian national team at one time very easy going basketball we fly over to japan then we go over to korea and we actually played three games in korea and they were like friendly we went out to dinner with them we had a couple of meetings at the embassy um they were just gentle nobody fouls you they pick you up um and everybody <laughs> shoots three there's no post up so that's why that's why it worked for us to go to korea first too because even though they had a couple of guys that were like six eight six nine they never post up everything was like the european style now everything was a kickoff three-point shot and they were phenomenal right they were phenomenal shooters so then we get to Manila, and then it was like, wow. It was like playing street basketball, <laughs> physical, like no harm, no foul. Yep. <laughs> like, it, 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 the, the thing about it is, like, for the Americans and for some of us that grew up in tough neighborhoods, it was 
what we were kind of used to, like when we go to the parks or to the open gyms. But you do get to call fouls at home when you're in open park gym. But now it was like, it was like, you can take a hard foul or you can take a hard hit and then it's still not a foul because it was no harm, no foul. If the shot went in, there's no no foul. And then it was like, it took us a while to get used to it. But once we got used to it, we were very successful later on in the yeah, later in the you tournament. Did. You, you did yeah. win it. And there was also a side, uh, a side event. Yeah. Uh, yes. To that tournament, the slam dunk competition. That's what put you on the map, actually. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. You, you went up against two guys uh, named Parks and Bates. Yes, <laughs> yes. And you actually beat them in, in that, that uh, slam dunk competition, right? That's funny. I never knew Bobby Parks was in that slam dunk contest. Wow. I thought he was in the one the next year, so I didn't know I'd beat Bobby in that one. I, that's one I need to hang my hat on. I need to know that I beat Bobby as well as BB Ray Bates. That's pretty amazing right there, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So BB Ray Bates was like them. a god. It was like a basketball god over yeah. here. So you're beating him. The was big. black Superman. Yes. So I, right. Everybody tell me, you're going to go against the black <laughs> Superman. And I'm like, yes, okay. And they're like, no. Everybody at the Salais Hotel, you're going to go against the black <laughs> Superman. <laughs> what are you going to do? And I'd be like, Anabayampare, you're going to go against the black Superman. And I'm like, okay, bring it on. Bring me the black Superman. And so we're at the vintage, we're at vintage at the studio. We're doing some uh, commercials or we're doing some um, promotion for the tournament. And everybody there at vintage, you're going to go against the black Superman. What do you have to say for yourself? And I made a comment. I go, I do not care about the Black Superman. I'm going to be kryptonite to the Black Superman. He doesn't have a chance. The next day, all the newspaper had that reported that Chambers is going to take down the Black Superman. And I'm like, oh, my God. I, and then I realized, again, I have to be very careful what I say because there's people everywhere and there's newspaper writers everywhere. You know? So, for a story, so, right? So we're getting ready for the dunk contest, and and I'm out there. You know, I'm stressed. It's just him and I now. It's just a championship round, right? Mm-hmm. And he comes out. Everybody stands up in the ultra. Everybody's going screaming crazy. He comes out in a black cape that had a <laughs> Superman on it. Way before Shaquille O'Neal, way before <laughs> Dwight Howard, Dwight Howard <laughs> he wore the Superman cape. And I'm like, what? What is going on here? Um, but... Um, <laughs> By absolutely claim the fame, and he missed the last dunk. Yeah, he did. The kryptonite <laughs> <He> worked. <laughs> the kryptonite worked. He missed the last dunk. I think I still have that big check in my garage that they gave me. Uh, Twenty five thousand pesos. Yeah, yeah, I kept that thing forever. Heck yeah. So, um, uh, the next day, again, like I told you, I used to like to walk around. So I got started going to the Dunkin' Donuts by the Salais Hotel. And then the next day, there was a 7-Eleven there. So I get uh, uh, one of the players, We three, two or three of the players, we went and walked with me. We go to the Dunkin' Donuts. We go to the to the 7-Eleven. And we're over to buy Salais Hotel off of Royal House Boulevard. Literally, we're in there for about three or four minutes. And then about time, it's time for it to go outside of the 7-Eleven. I swear the whole neighborhood had completely <laughs> rushed the 7-Eleven because they saw me beat the black Superman. Right. right. <laughs> Instant celebrity. We had to get, actually, some of the guards outside had to help us 
walk back to the hotel because people were just coming out of the, the houses and some of the neighborhood just to touch me now. They go, you beat the black <laughs> Superman. You beat the, you know, you beat Billy Davis. Everybody thumbs up, you know, everybody was crazy. You know, I was like, okay, instant celebrity superstar now. Yeah, yeah. So that was great. I mean, Billy Ray yeah, Grace was, was really that, that's a great story. Actually, you put you yeah. on the map. Yeah. But then um, it, you had to wait a while before you uh, yes. came back to get an offer here in the Philippines. You fall in love with the country. It's like waiting for your love of your life to say yes to your proposal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it took a while. It took over a year before yeah. you finally got an offer, and and mm -hmm. it yeah. came in the form of you having to replace Carl Lott at yeah. the Alaska team. So what was that story yes. like? So crazy story. I was um, actually flying back from a tournament with the Jaguars. We had went to Syracuse to play the tournament. I was flying back with them and we were, I was in LAX. And then I got a call over the intercom. Only once in my life has this ever happened. I got a call <laughs> over the intercom, you know, back then we didn't have cell phones. And we all saw the movie where you heard, you know, you got a call on the white courtesy phone. Mm -hmm. So you, you instantly, your heart dropped because you think it's a family member or something, because that's what they were the, right, right. what happened in the movies. So um, I pick up the phone, and it's uh, a guy, Ron Howard. He was a good friend of uh, Coach Jacob. Uh, Ron Jacob, one of Ron Jacob's best friends, Coach Howard was one of the guys who actually helped get me on the Jaguar team when I, on the IBL team when I first started. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, so he says, hey, the team from the Philippines, Alaska, they want you to fly back to the, to the Philippines. They want to replace a guy. They want to know if you're available. You know, and I didn't have an agent. I didn't have an agent at the time. I was like, uh, uh, when do they want me to leave? They go, you need to leave like tomorrow or the next day. <laughs> I was at the airport. So I was like, well, there's no sense in me going back to Cal Poly right now because I was still living at the university. I was still living out there. I'll just stay at the airport. I have my passport. I called my mother, told her that I'm going to the Philippines, I guess, and I'm going to be leaving <laughs> tomorrow. So off I went. So I got to practice, got there, landed. And um, it was a different Alaska, a different Alaska team at the mm -hmm. time. You know? right, yeah, Boggs um, was, was, Ordinato was there for one practice, if I recall. Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe two, because uh, mm -hmm. he was he was replaced right away after I got there. Mm -hmm. um, I, I maybe played for him one or two games, and then Tim became like the consultant. And, and it's kind of funny, Mister Mister Uitintu Fred actually uh, coached one game. <laughs> he he could have coached him. He could have coached my first game, maybe. That's actually, I have to look that one okay. up, too. Okay. So um, so I go there, you know, um, Frankie Lamb is the reason why I wear number 20, because he had number 22 at the time. So I grew up mm -hmm. wearing 22 my whole career. My son always asked me that, why did I wear 20 in the Philippines? And mm -hmm. I go, blame Frankie Lamb, who was one of my best <laughs> friends at the time, but it's his fault. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was a very unique dynamic on the team. We had old guys like Frankie Abi Gadabin, who was just my mentor of all mentors, because he was a great guy. If you want to learn about the Philippine and Philippine culture and growing up being a proud Filipino, and I don't think there was anybody more prouder than Abi Gadabin. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, um, so B-Boy Ravonis, um, mm -hmm. um, Ricky Ruloso, and Yoya Villamine, the Blue, the Bruce Brothers, yeah. a young Don Polistico. Then we have the young guys. We have Rick Rick Morata, Eric Altamirano, Boy Cabahu, and um, Bong Alvarez. So we were such a, a, a weird mix of team, right? We had all these young rookies and I was considered a rookie basically. It was my first professional contract. So we had like five rookies and then these old veterans and it was just kind of a, a crazy unique try to get us to vibe 
on the same page and kind of change the culture of, of, of Alaska basketball. But I didn't remember any more what happened. Oh, yeah. Sorry, go with Charlie. No, 1990, uh, you made the finals. Uh, yes. In, yeah, in 1990. But you were actually up, I think, 2-0 in the series. But then you uh, lost. I, I appreciate you bringing that up because that's one of the worst <laughs> memories of my life. Thank you for that. <laughs> we, we need to do these, these things. I'm sorry. You know? this, <laughs> but we need uh, to talk about uh, that because you, you obviously, uh, obviously you bounced back in the years to come. But no, yeah, that was the start uh, of it all. Honestly, that was the hardest. One of my worst, saddest feelings in my life. Still today. like mm -hmm. I still remember how we lost it. I still remember um, being up 2-0 against Pure Foods and Pure Foods was so dominating young guys coming into the league. Like they were already loaded. And they're one of their imports of one of the game had to fly back to the States. Like um uh what is it Rose, Derek Rose? Because they had Queen in there, Derek Queen Rob Rose, Rob Rose. Rob Rose. Rob Rose. Yeah, Rob, Rob, Rose, Rob, Rose yeah. Rob Rose had to leave back to the state for like one or two games and then came back. I think he had like a family situation. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. then he came back for game five. So we had a chance to put him away when they had one import. And we didn't. And we were up 2-0. And uh, I, I'll tell you this. When I got there to the country and played my first tournament in 89, and I came and filled in uh, a little bit early that year, um, I was my whole desire was to win a championship. When I saw San Miguel win the Grand Slam in 89, my focus was that feeling and the euphoria of winning a championship and winning it all. You know, uh, A friend of mine here in the States, a guy named Dave Ingram, um, he played over in Greece. Uh, he told me one time, he said, winning a championship at any level is a huge, huge accomplishment because it's not easy to win a championship. Mm -hmm. At any level, no matter where you play, wherever you go, at any level of basketball, it is hard to win a championship because everything needs to fall into place. So here we are, 2-0, and I, got, I recruited Carlos Clark because Carlos yes. Clark and I played together in Canada in, that, in the IBL League, the 6-5 mm -hmm. and under league. And Carlos was such a great guy, such a you know hard worker, stoic, um, very emotionless, but he was just such a skilled player, um, former NBA guy and a CBA legend. Um, I recruited Carlos. We were there to win it, and we let it slip by. We lost three games in a row. Mm -hmm. yep. And I and I even think I can remember. I think it was either uh, Franz Pomarin or uh, Al Solis. Somebody hit an amazing three point shot on us. That Must was have been just, Al. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, out. I think it was. Al Solis, that just to this day, just hurts me. And wasn't Glenn Capasho on that team too? Yes. 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 Yeah, he, Glenn Capasho hit a big one too. Yes, Glenn Glenn Capasho did a big shot, but you know those guys were so amazing when they had Jerry Nelson, Alvin, mm -hmm. Alvin. you know JoJo. Jo jo JoJo was still there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was, was going to ask that. <laughs> So just so, 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 you brought up you yeah. brought up Carlos Clark. Uh, I, I remember Carlos Clark very clearly. He used to take free throws like on the left or on the right side of the circle. You remember yeah, that? Yeah. Well, yeah. You ever figure out? You ever ask him? Hey, why are you taking free throws on those yeah, sides? Yeah. Uh, never at the never at the front. Never at the center. Yeah, Carlos Clark was the left. You remember? Yes, uh, he was. He was such an amazing player, man. Like didn't jump off the ground much. You know, <laughs> just use his body the right way. He was, he was a great role model for me because he was a true professional. He came to practice to work every day hard. When I got to Canada, um, there was a lot of guys. I played with Chip England and Carlos mm -hmm. and Jim Thomas in Canada, in mm -hmm. Calgary. And, uh, but there were certain guys in Canada that kind of took, took, took the league for granted. Uh, it was basically a chance for them to get paid uh, extra money in the summer, and they didn't really take the league and play with 
a sense of purpose all the time. Carlos Clark was a professional. He came to practice every day in Canada. He was the games every day in Canada, and he treated the game like a professional, and he did his job. So I really admired him for who he was, and I wanted to model myself after him, um, kind of like Ray, Ray Hall was, and then there was next was Carlos Clark for me, how to be a professional. There's a, there's a fellow on the Facebook Live feed. He commented, this, uh, this is from Carlo. He remembers that Bong Alvarez got injured in game two yeah. of that series. Mm, yeah, that's and, right. And that's and right. That might be one of the reasons that you had a harder time. Yeah, with Bong was yeah. Bong actually so we uh, mentioned up, that. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. were up two zero. We should have won it. <laughs> right, right. I we should have won that. I mean, sorry, sorry to bring that up, Sean. We just had to, we had to talk about it. You know, we couldn't go through this interview without that without that story. Yeah. Yeah, Sean, but then after that, it's all success after that. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, get the, just get the bad part out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Another friend of yours is actually saying hi, Sean. Uh, I don't know if you know. Uh, I'll, give, I'll give the name. Claudia Perrine told me to Claudia. say this to you. No ring. Uh, you, she said you get it. <laughs> I get it. Tell her you right, know, know who's listening to? Uh, a guy you played against. His name's Bernie That's Fabiosa. Ah, uh, Bernie. How are yeah, Bernie's you, watching. Bernie was part of that Pure Foods team. Yeah. Yes, yes. 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 Yeah. 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 I mean, it was, <laughs> that was his it last was really no fair. Yeah, they were, had all the talent in the world. They, was, they were bound to be a, a dynasty. And, and, of course, the greatest coach of all times, you know, oh, my mm. God. It was, it made, that just made his legendary status jump off the roof, right, once he uh, comes back on a down 2-0 two, two and then win three games in a row. I mean, he was truly the maestro, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're talking about Baby D, right? Yeah, yeah Baby D. Yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, uh, before we get into the Tim Cohn era of Alaska, I think Sid has a few photos that he wants to show yeah. to you. Yeah, we, uh, we do this for uh, for all our guests. We're going to go back, a blast from the past type, and, you know, just describe what you see, or if it's if you're, if it's a photo of an opponent, can, can you just talk about that opponent yeah. uh, for a while? Whatever sure. memories, whatever memories yeah, flash yeah. back when you see the photo. Well, sorry, we don't have the Philip Cesar hitting you in the back. Though. Yeah, well, yeah. this is the first one. <laughs> well, this is the first uh, one. I don't know which. That's one of six. So. Yeah. yeah, I believe that's um, in 1994 when I came back. And could, you know, I didn't start off the 1994 season as the import. There was yeah. Sean Gay because uh, I had suffered an injury the year before. So management was kind of waiting to see how healthy I was before I came back. Mm -hmm. But that was the 94 championship, if I'm not mistaken. And just. That was me, um, to me, um, saying that, you know, I'm back and, and I'm here. Yeah, that year the league was really balanced, right? I mean, oh, uh, I think oh, San Miguel amazingly. won, Purefoods won, yeah. It was a... Uh... Yeah. And we came back and I think it was, I, I think um, Pop, not Pop, but it was a Pop Cola, Virgil Manessian, they had a chance to win the Grand Slam, I think, that year. Yes. And I, oh, 95, and we, 95. Oh, that was 95. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What you got next? Okay. Uh, this is you um, against uh, so West, West Matthews. Yeah. West Matthews. And yeah. I just saw a post somebody put on a Facebook uh, magazine that said, who was better than West Matthews that year? And I was so happy to win the championship in 91 after the, we lost in 1990. Mm -hmm. yeah, that was like the best feeling to come back after the way we lost it in 91 and come back. In, I mean, the way we lost it in 90 and come back and win in 91 against – Three things that happened to my to my legacy. Um, mm -hmm. We we came back and won it. We won our first championship, and we won against Hinebra. So mm -hmm. you couldn't ask for a better <laughs> right. opponent for your legacy, better to beat Hinebra in your first championship.
And then Wes Matthews was really a highly touted yeah. import. So, yeah. you know, people were actually favoring Inebra going into yeah. that series. What, you know, let's talk about it now since the photo's on, on the screen anyway. You know, what, what was the mindset of the team entering that maybe as the underdog? How did you guys feel? How did you feel personally? So, because you're going up against Wes Matthews. Right. So for me, it was like Wes Matthews, for him, I believe, and I could be taken completely out of pocket, and I hope he's not offended. He was taking a step down coming to play in the PBA when he was just in the NBA, right? So he took a step down to come here, and he obviously lost the NBA job. To me, this was my NBA. This is where I wanted to be. This is where I wanted to be successful. So I wanted to show him that this is my world, you know, and I wanted to just outwork him and outplay him that series. And and I know I did. I know I completely kind of outplayed him that whole series. And I felt great because I was like, you know, this is my NBA West. I know you're here collecting the paycheck. You did. A, you had a great season, but I kind of felt like it was a, a way for me to show him, like, this is where I want to be, though. You know, right? right. Mm-hmm. And, and it showed in that. It showed. It showed yeah. in that series. Yeah, it really did. And I remember, I remember Coach Jaworski like trying mm-hmm. to shake him and get him going sometimes in that series. Yeah, yeah. You know, how tough? How how tough was the series uh, going up against uh, uh, overall and not just West, but the whole team? Well, I, 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 Chito Loizaga was one of the toughest defenders I've ever faced. Um, he fouled me probably more than anybody I've ever played against. He probably hit me more than anybody I've ever played against. Uh, he hit me harder than Philip Cesar, but he was a good guy. <laughs> but he was no, a good he guy. He's a good guy. <laughs> Joey Loizaga, I used to be jealous of him because he had the cutest girlfriend in the Philippines. And <laughs> him, <but> I... <laughs> a lot, like, oh, a lot of people would agree. A lot of people would agree with uh, you. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, so I didn't like Joey Loizaga because of that reason. Because he had a cute <laughs> girlfriend. <laughs> That's great. That's a great uh, uh, quote right there. Yeah. Yeah, and then Dante Gonzaga was really good, and then Discreto. So, but we won that three straight, right? So that was awesome also as well. After we had a series the year before, we, we had, we're up 2-0, and then we lost three in a row. We beat he never three straight games in that series to win it. Yeah. We also talked to Buang Alvarez about this series, and he uh, he takes credit for shutting down Wes Matthews. Yeah. So he said uh, Tim Tim assigned him really to shadow Wes throughout the series. Uh, can you talk yeah. about that matchup and how good Bong Alvarez was back then? Uh, Bong Alvarez was probably, before his injury, the best athletic Filipino in the league. Um, he was yeah. super athletic, incredible hands, incredible craft. He was a Samboy Lim. And, and, I mean, him and Samboy Lim was probably, the, he was neck and neck with Samboy Lim, the thing Samboy mm-hmm. could do in the game. But Samboy was getting older and Bong was brand new, you know, and then we were able to have JoJo. So we had like a three-headed monster, myself, Alvarez, and Jola in that series. And and actually, Frankie Lamb was really, really good back then, too. Frankie mm-hmm. Lamb was kind of the heart and soul. Um, it, it was a good team to actually win your first championship with because we were some tough guys. Like, Frankie was tough, JoJo was tough, Bong was tough, myself, and um, B-Boy Ravonis. You know, we mm-hmm. were some tough guys. So we were the right team to match up against Enember because we weren't going to be intimidated by the physicality mm-hmm. that came with the game because Jojo, I mean, Frankie was a tough guy, man, Frankie Lim. And if anybody gave me a hit or a tough swat, Frankie was to my defense. And so Bong Alvarez to going back to Bong, he just got to reap the benefits of all that because he was playing with a bunch of tough guys and supporters, but mm-hmm. he was such an amazing athlete. The way he could pick up the ball with one hand and, and just kind of hang in the air 
Um, it's unfortunate that he had that uh, Achilles injury and a couple other things, you know, with Bong, yeah, yeah, that yeah. kind of derailed him being one of the greatest of all time. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, what's this next, next one? Uh, Jamie one. Waller. Jamie so, Waller. So, and I don't know why I know this, and this is how athletes are. I know for a fact we won that game, okay? <laughs> and I know for a fact because the league in Canada – Jamie Waller was kind of like the superstar of the league in the w, in the, w, the NBL, whatever it was. He played for a team in, in Vegas. He was the man of the league, the biggest guy in the league. And I felt I never got a chance to kind of go at him because I was kind of a role player for the Canadian team because we had Chip England. We had Carlos Clark. We had all these guys that were playing ahead of me. Um, but then when I – later in the league, I started getting more playing time, and my job was to shut down Jamie Waller. So when we got to the Philippines, again, I was like, okay, Jamie, you're on my home court. I may be an import, you're an import, but this is where I, this is my court. (laughs) And I remember that game, like him and Fred Cofield, they were superstars (laughs) in that league in Canada. I remember when they got to the Philippines, I always knew, all right, you're in my world now. So it's on. So I, I know we won that game. Fred Cofield, another blast from the past. Uh, That's the name I haven't heard Fred Cofield. Yeah, yeah, but Waller was a pretty good player, tough guy. Yeah, Waller was. Uh, Here's the guy. Here's the guy you were talking about earlier. Yeah, the greatest player I'm gonna say I've ever played with. Just, I don't know. I speak with Johnny. Johnny's the greatest of all times. Um, JoJo is one of our best leaders and one of the most skilled guys ever. But Johnny Abarenta is the best player I've ever played with in my career ever. He is just. Hands down, the most wow. incredible guy ever. I was I was blown away with Johnny when he was in college. I used to go watch um, his college game mm-hmm. when I was he was still playing. I was like, okay, yeah. practice over. We got to go to the we got to go to the game. Let's go. We got to head yeah head to the Quinnett Austin mm-hmm. to go watch Johnny play. I remember seeing you uh, yeah. watching him at, with the UAP games because I was following yes. the UAP very intently in 1992. I remember seeing you there, and uh, I remember hearing you said, "Man, wow, this." Abariento's guy is incredible. You yeah. said something like that. I overheard you. Yeah, Johnny, I would go to every one of their games. And uh, Johnny, if he wanted to, he could have played in the NBA. If he would have took that chance to go, and, you know, yeah. I think it was the Charlotte yeah. Horns that were looking at him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he he was that good. Um, and with you guys, which is amazing, you guys see the games. And you saw what he did in some of the games and the clutchness and the an amazing – um, just never rattled, always into his own zone. What he did in practice was even better. <laughs> you know, you guys don't see practice, but what he did every day and every practice session, morning, noon, and night was was even more phenomenal. And we just like all shake our head, like this kid's incredible. And then he just got better. You know, he got better, and then he got the jump shot. Then he shot threes, and then it just got ridiculous. Um, so, I mean, my hat's off to Johnny, one of my all-time, like, greatest heroes. I mean, he's, uh, he's my, there, there was, he's my some, idol. Sort of, yeah, there's sort of an urban legend as well. You know, we're going to talk about the other urban legend we talked about before, but there's sure. sort of an urban legend that you had something to do with the drafting of Johnny Abarientos. I mean, that you spoke very highly of him, that the team I, listened to you. I think I probably, Tim might not say this, but I probably got on my knees and said, Tim, Hear me on this one. <laughs> Trust me on this one. This guy is the best I've ever seen. And they knew, like Mr. Wee and Tim, 
they knew I was going to watch his games all the time. Obviously, I was on TV. They were like, you know, hey, you just had practice. You got a game tomorrow. I go, yeah, but I got to go see Johnny play, man, live because it's incredible. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I was, I really, I would leave practice and, and take a shower there and head to the Quinnette, to the Astrodome. And, and I, I don't think I missed a game when I could on a Saturday. Never, never yeah. missed his game. Wow. He was that, he was that good. But I think he knew other, I was there. He knew I was there watching the game. He knew I was coming. I think the, the other Alaska uh, guy who was also very high on, on Johnny back then, I think was Waki Trillo because he, yeah. He did commentary for the PBA, uh, the UAP yes. games back then, yeah. and I could remember hearing him on the air gushing about Johnny A and how they're how they were gonna draft him uh, when he <laughs> declares. Uh, you know, his partner uh, Jimmy Javier kept on ribbing him about yes. that. But yeah, I, I remember. Uh, so Rocky you remember was very then, very high about right, on Johnny back then. To get a big back then uh, was so important. Like his teammate was really the one everybody thought we we're gonna go after. Right, um, big Pablo, um, Pablo, Pablo, yeah. Everybody thought we were going to the Pablo because he was a big. He was like a six foot six two shooter mm-hmm. at the wing, but it was like Johnny was just absolutely the greatest I've ever played against, hands down. So we can say Waki Trilli was uh, guilty of tampering at the time. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, because yes. That's tampering nowadays, right? No, but yeah. I really want oh, to yeah. ask Sean. Sean, you mentioned that uh, you know he, you think Johnny could have played in the NBA, and that actually. You know, the story came out, Charlotte Hornets might be interested with Joe Bettencourt and all of that. Uh, how how close was he to actually getting a tryout or, or flying over there? I mean, we, we, I'm sure you guys were talking about it back then. Um, Tim spoke a little bit of when he was with you guys, and I think he was very close. Um, I, I think for Johnny, though, he's such a family guy, and he took pride in, in really – helping and supporting the rest of his family, his mom, his dad, and his sisters and them. They were always at the games. And, you know, the more he became successful in our league and started to win championships, I think he felt such more of a uh, of a need to stay here and be the star here and, and take care of his family. So I, I, I'm not sure how much he really fully entertained it, but I know there was an opportunity for him to go over there And, and get a tryout, you know. I actually, go, I actually spoke camp. to Johnny about that uh, a couple of weeks ago, and Johnny said that at first he really wasn't sure if this was real. I mean, right. the whole process, yeah. he wasn't sure if it was real. But then when he started considering it, the talk started falling apart. You know, he right. started considering it late. That's what he was telling yeah. me a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. And, and still, it was in a situation now today. He probably even have more of a chance because of the, the skill right, level right. and the pick and roll that they're doing. But still, a small guard in the NBA back then was still kind of like, eh, how does that work? But now what Trey Young is doing and these guys like that, you know, at that size, are, he could have easily done that, you know, easily. Mm-hmm. He could have reinvented yeah. the game over there because he was unflappable. You know, the yeah, Johnny was we were unflappable. Asking, we were asking Tim Cohn to name his five greatest players. All he said was Johnny Abarrientos and all the rest. I saw that, and I sent him a nasty text. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. he forgot about Sean Jabers. <laughs> wow, come on, your first six championship guy. Come on, dude. Yeah, no. Exactly. Yeah, speaking but of first I championship. Agree. I saw that. He said he, he would give Johnny all the greatest players he played with, but he had to give Johnny the number one seed. And I went, okay. I, I, will, I would agree with him on that one. Okay. Okay, here's the next one. Okay. Okay, talk about this guy. Oh wow! Uh, <laughs> um, my 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 best friend, the guy who went to my battle, whenever 
things were not good, battering different. Um, the heart and soul of our team is that was unique. Johnny was the the most gifted and skilled guy, but Jojo was truly the heart and soul of our team. He um, a high character. I, I don't know what to say. Like the first time I played against Jojo when he was playing against Pure Foods, I knew I wish one day he would be my teammate. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's rare, you know, when you play against somebody as you're you're battling, fighting against each other. I knew the first time I played against Jojo, I I knew I wished one day he would be our teammate. And when I heard we traded for Jojo, I actually thought it was a joke. I thought it was no way <laughs> it's possible. There's no way, you know, there's no way this guy's playing with Alaska. They have a bo- uh, bo- boy Kabahu for, for Jojo. Boy right? Kabahu, who's also one of my good friends. Boy Kabahu was a great guy I, I, I got a chance to play with and, and love Boy. But Jojo is the heart and soul of Alaska. And mm-hmm. I, I think our legacy and our dynasty at Alaska would never been there without Jojo, hands down. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, I don't know, he's the greatest of all time. Yeah. You watch, look, sorry, Charlie, but I'm just saying, looking at this picture, that's the old Araneta Coliseum. Boy, it looks so mm-hmm. different yes. now. Yes, yes, it does. Araneta, yeah, that's yeah. nice. Big dome. You know, yeah. you know Sean, um, you, were you able to watch the episode with Jojo Lastimosa here on, on, on our show? Because, I did not jo- see that one. No, because Jojo talked about, uh, you know, some relationship problems with Tim Cohn, you know. He oh, yeah. he oh Tim, I did see that. Yeah, he and Tim would, would get into some tussles, some arguments. Yes. What was the what was the atmosphere like when yes. you're like, <laughs> like your heart and soul is actually, you know, tangling with your coach who's, you know, the mastermind of all this, the he's the main guy. You know, how how are the rest of you feeling when this is all going on? So um take a chance to pat myself on the back right now, okay, if you guys don't mind. Okay. <laughs> so the 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 thing that made us successful and Jojo would have the things he would stand on and he would get, you know, um, he would dig his tail in the ground. Like he, he believed this is the way something should happen or he felt them didn't go right. And he would get him and Tim would have, they would have clashes, no doubt about it. But I was the buffer, you know, I was his best friend. He was my, I mean, Jojo's and I are like brothers. I mean, we were like brothers from day one. And then I was such a, an advocate for coach Tim as well. Right. So I was able to buffer the relationship and say, come on, Joe, you know, this, we got to be in in it for the team. You know, we have to sacrifice. We have to do this. We have to do that, but we cannot at any time can we like fight against each other and not win a champion and win a championship. You know, we're going to have to give a little both sides, um, Mm -hmm. whatever the disagreement is, is um, in order for us to be successful. So I was able to be, and, and I was always like, the happy-go-lucky, jolly guy in practice. And it was ne- like, again, like I said, when I started playing basketball, it was kind of like my endorphins. It would make me go. It made me excited. So when I would come to practice, I, I never had a uh, unhappy practice. It was always like, this is the best place in the world. This is like my Disneyland, so my happy place. So I was able to kind of create that atmosphere with the guys and like, come on, Joe. Like, hey, come on, man. We're going to have fun today, you know. And eventually, we would all – work things out again and you know and even with Tim uh, I would say things about Tim and and Tim know I'd be joking but the Filipinos guys would never say that because there's a level of respect in the Filipino culture but I would always call Tim oh he's that crazy guy don't worry about the crazy white guy he's okay you know and all the guys <laughs> would laugh at it and they're like oh my god you just called him the crazy white guy like, yeah don't worry about him so but Tim know I was joking and, and, and so it would make the guys relax a little bit more, you know, and not be so stressful. And and a lot of times when I got there in ninety-four and ninety-five, um, we hadn't won a championship all year. So 
that third conference was always kind of a, a stressful situation for a lot of the teams who hadn't won a championship because if you win one championship out of the year, that's considered success in the Philippines to win one out of three, right? Uh, right. If you don't win zero, that's not good. <laughs> so it's a failure. Uh, to win two out of three is incredible. To win three out of three is amazing. So um, so I was just such a good buffer for everybody. Like I, I saw Tim mention when I, you know, with Bon Hawkins, like Bon hated morning practice. Hated it, hated it. And so I was able to get Bong moving and getting him going. Like we would have practice at seven o'clock in the morning and I was able to kind of get in Bong's head and, and let him know, hey, we only got 30 more minutes to go or we only got an hour to go, you know, and make it lively so we can get through the process. And so it kind of helped create such a, an advocate for both sides to make sure we were always on the same team. And where I came from, my high school coach was so big that we are never successful without being like a family oriented team. Hmm. We have to be pulling for each other. And so that was always my mindset, uh, wherever I wouldn't play that these guys have to be my brothers, Tim and all of us, we all have to be on the same page like a family. What, what about you, Sean? Did you and uh, Tim ever, you know, have some disagreements? Um, I will say later in my career, and it's not Tim's fault, it's more on me. Um, I see like, I've stayed maybe a year or two longer than, than I probably should have. Uh, and that was love of management that kept bringing me back and, you know, kept giving me a salary, which I'm forever grateful for that, you know, the Uwe Tinsa family and Tim kept bringing me back. Like in 2000, 1999 and 2000 and 2001 was probably, you know, I was probably way past my time to be still trying to play. Um, injuries were starting to mount up. And so I wasn't able to live up to what I was doing in 94, 95, 96, and 97. Mm -hmm. And so I actually, 98, as everybody knows that weird year, you know, when we had the Centennial Championship and we had a chance to win a third Grand Slam. Uh, We probably could have won that, uh, but we all know we did it for the right reason. Mm -hmm. But 99, 2000, 2001 is when I was really kind of on my downward swing, but they kept bringing me back. So it was hard for me to live up to my own ego of how I was playing in 95, 96 to four years later. And then, um, you know, um, Tim getting on me to kind of reinvent my game, you know, and I'm like, let me dominate like I was doing before, but I was not the same dominated player that I was in 96. So mm-hmm. those are the only time we've ever had clashes, but I always knew, you know, I never go against management. I never go against like the guys that are, consider my leaders like Tim as a coach and Mr. Uwe Tinsu as the owner. I never, never question and try to go against them. Uh, I, and if I did, I would say it behind closed doors and not in their face, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, but winning, winning cures everything yeah. though, right? Yeah. Winning so, cures everything. Yeah. And speaking of the late nineties, uh, the last picture is he, yeah, this is you against, uh, Oh, Peak. wow. The Mark man Cole. Mountain. Were you guys yeah. ever teammates? I'm, I'm not sure if we were he, teammates he played for, for last, last year. Yeah, for my last year, we were teammates. Um, man, that's crazy. I, I can't even tell you what pick that was. That had to be in 1990. <laughs> I don't know. Because I had a little afro. I'm not even sure why I got such long hair there. Yeah. Uh, Ali, played for, yeah. Ali played for Pop Cola in 98. So, yeah, was okay. So, we, was 98. Yeah. we won that championship in 98, right? No, we lost. Oh, no, this was, I can't remember 98. Yeah, your last um, one was 97. Yeah, 97, my last one. Um, but, uh, yeah, Ali P comes in, and he was coming from uh, St. Mary College, which is down mm-hmm. the street from where I live. So I heard about Ali, and I heard Ali coming in, and he was 
he was such a dominant player, man, when he came into the league. But Pop Cola couldn't win anything at the time. But he was such an amazing guy to play. Then I, he was also another guy when we got a hold of him. I was like, that guy is going to be a great addition to a last organization. But uh, yeah, that was, uh, I think that one has to be, though, when I was playing with um, Monty Buckley because all the, my local guys were gone. All our stars were gone in 98. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Transfer yeah. to those. They're all to the, they're at the Centennial team gone that year. So we were having a, a tough run trying to stay, trying to trying to win a grand slam without without JoJo Bong, Kenny Duremdes, and, and uh, Johnny. And Johnny. And JoJo. Yeah. Bong, we had Bong all five was injured. guys. Bong was injured. And Bong that year, tore right? his ACL. Yeah. 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 Yep. Uh, that was the last photo. That's a great picture. Sean, we're going to take you down to the Tim Cohn era. Obviously, when you started in, in Alaska, uh, it was still under Coach Boggs, and then there was a transition, and then Tim actually told the story already of how he actually got the coaching job uh, at Alaska. So how did you welcome uh, Tim Cohn? And the, who's this young dude trying to run this show? I mean, I'm sure that you have your apprehensions. Who is this guy, right? Oh. Yes and no. So, okay. because I come from, an, a, I don't know if you know anything about American college systems and the structure. It's very similar to the Philippines, you know. Um, at the college level, there's so much structure. There's so much, like, report to practice 30 minutes before time. Um, if you're late for practice, you're going to be in major trouble. Um, practice on a certain schedule. We go through drills on a clock that, you know, we transition all the time. So it's so rigid. It's so, you know, planned out for every, every one of your days in college is planned out. So now I get to Manila for Alaska. First practice I actually have, I think half the team is about 30 minutes late. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Half the team is 30 minutes late to practice on my first practice. And then the first practice, um, Carl Lott was there still. So they had mm-hmm. me practice against Carl Lott, which I thought was very crazy, right? Awkward, yeah. Awkward. And uh, <laughs> uh, so we were fighting for jobs, and I was a little hungrier than he was. So I was, I kind of dominated yeah, that yeah. He, he didn't play well at all, Carl Lott. I remember no, that. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't play really well. Really big disappointment for, for Alaska that, that, that time. Yeah. So, so then after practice back then, like right after practice, um, I remember several of the guys, I won't mention names, um, were smoking cigarettes right afterwards. And I'm uh, yeah, like, Tim was telling that story too. Yeah, Tim also <laughs> told that story. Yeah. And, and then one of my favorite stories, and I love this guy to death, but I, I used to love to do this all, he would do this to me all the time, to Tim. So Tim was actually kind of helping and kind of consulting at the time. He would come to practices and sit in and watch, but he wasn't coaching. He would come and watch at the time. And we would do, be ready to do a drill, and everybody goes, Where, where's Ricky? Where's Ricky? Where's Ricky Relosa? Where's Ricky? And Ricky will be hiding behind the backstop, like like playing hide-and-go-seek behind the backstop. He did this every day, and everybody would go, what is he doing? So Ricky would hide, just to mess with us. So when Tim started getting there and started putting, okay, guys, we got to be at practice on time. We gotta, and I think back then there was like girlfriends would come to to practice. You know who used to come to our practice back then? Chris Aquino. No way. Chris <laughs> Aquino. You, Chris Aquino used to come to all our practice with her bodyguards. Back really? Then. Uh, who, about yeah. 
Upon, upon whose invitation would you yeah, know? Yeah, upon whose invitation? Uh, I think it was Bong Alvarez. Okay. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. Okay. But she's come to some more practice. So, you know, here you have the, the president's daughter at our practice. So, so Tim started putting structure in practice. He started putting like, okay, we got to be on time. You know, you we're going to go through some drills. We're going to go through it just became more structured. And and I believe that's what kind of separates Tim's today and and his success. And you could just tell the, the structure and the quality of shots and some of the things that he his team, because of the triangle offense, mm-hmm. um, that you get certain plays and structure out of the game. So and what we became successful was like the Philippines um, back in the day, if you didn't have a foul, it was considered you weren't playing good defense. Where some fouls are useless, right? And we're like putting guys on the foul line unnecessarily. So we started putting structure on, all right, we're going to be a little bit more structured and organized in practice and in games and then play the law of averages. And so what he did was, though, at the beginning, of the, when he first started, if you recall, like we were considered having the best defense uh, in the league back in there, 90 and 91. But we, what we weren't doing, we weren't running up and down. We weren't letting the scores get up to 120, then 30s and 40s like they were in the past. We started controlling the tempo of the game. For me, it worked for me because that's how we played in college. Mm-hmm. And so then we all it worked for me when he came because we knew Bong, JoJo, and myself were going to shoot like 90% of the shots, you know, and everybody yeah. has kind of played off of us. So we became structured instead of it kind of was like a free-for-all before. Everybody, you know, who got the ball, old school basketball would like maybe Yo-Yo or Ricky would start backing their player up or, you know, there would be a pick and roll. Everybody who felt like they had a shot, you can kind of clear the side away because there was no help defense. You can kind of wave guys away. And so it was kind of like um, there was no really structure into our offense or what we were doing as a team. We never knew what was going to happen. But mind you, in the early years, I was scoring a lot of points because it was like yeah. we were going up and down the court like crazy, you know. So when Tim came, I was all in, and I knew that he had um, um, a little bit more structure he was going to implement within the team. And then because of that, we became um, predictable to ourselves what we were going to do. Let me mention about the smoking because, yeah, the Tim also said – this actually happened during a game. Yeah. So at yeah. halftime, yeah, half time. Half time. Yeah. at halftime, he saw two of his players smoking at halftime. So yeah. he was the thinking, my at God. <laughs> yeah, at the Ultra. So, <laughs> yeah, he had some characters on that team uh, back in the day. Uh, yeah, great guys, week. but characters for sure. Great guys. Yeah. Like, it, Rick, uh, Rick Rick Morata was a great guy to play with early. You know, he was a good, talented guy. Yeah, Rick, Rick, yeah, we know. In 91, you guys finally won a championship for Alaska. Um, uh, that's uh, primarily because of your offense uh, and uh, and the two guys you mentioned. Uh, but eventually, in 1993, you get Johnny Abarientos and Tim Cohn falls in love with the triangle offense. So right. what was that mm-hmm. transition like for you guys? I know Giorgio hated it because it took the ball right. out of his hands. But when you were when you were coming in as an import and, they say, and Tim say, all right, John, we're going to run the triangle offense. Triangle who? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Now, now, I wasn't familiar with it. I didn't know the ins and outs of the triangle. Now, as a coach here for girls basketball and club basketball, I coach here. 
I still use parts of the triangle offense. I still do. Um, I kind of modified a little bit, but, but, but the fact that I was growing up in the States and I started seeing the success with the Chicago Bulls with the triangle, I didn't understand it, but I knew they were having success with it. Um, and then, so when Jojo pushed back on it and then I came over and I'm like, Hey, you know, once again, you know, we got to be a team here. We got to be, you know, in order for us to be successful, we got to buy into whatever the coach is telling us to do, you know? And mm-hmm. so if it doesn't work, then it falls on Tim's head. Right. But we don't ever want to be players that don't follow what the instructions are from the coach. So once um, I bought in, I think everybody else bought in. And um, the only problem was in 93, I had that foot injury. So I had a stress fracture where I missed five games. I was out a month and a half. Mm-hmm. So I don't think Tim saw that coming. <laughs> so that didn't help. So, uh, but once we started put in the triangle offense, what it did was people started double teaming Jojo Bong myself because they knew we were the bulk of the offense. So they started sending double team. When you put the triangle offense in, it eliminated the double team and it punished teams for playing good defense. Once you, once you fully understood that and understand the concept of the triangle offense, if you try to play double teams or you try to play good defense, you try to play the right help side, there's always a counter to the triangle offense. So once we all understood that and we were all like a well-formed machine, we couldn't be stopped. Yeah, and of course, 93, it also helped that you got Johnny and uh, and uh, Edward Reno on your team. Right. That's right. So then, yeah, so Edward became our, our perfect, we call him the Luke Longley, the, mm-hmm. the perfect uh, five-man, a phenomenal pass in the triangle offense kind of our unsung hero um he's a guy who really kind of was the final piece to the puzzle and um and then you know kevin ramos was also really good and um chris bellato one of my dearest friends got rest his soul and um so we had the right bigs even alex alex arnetta was pretty good for a while there you know, we had the red, the right bigs for what we needed, and we had the guards that were scoring. And I was kind of like that guy that can rotate from any of the four positions. You know, they always say that uh, the, for the triangle to work, you don't really need a great point guard on your team. If right. you look at the Bulls, you look at the Lakers, you know. So how was Johnny able to thrive in that system? Bottom line, Johnny is the most, like, his court vision, his passing skills, and his his understanding of needing when to score. Like, Johnny could score at will. But he also knew, like, when I watched old video, Johnny knew how to get the ball out to guys on the right time at the right place. He kept guys involved. He kept JoJo involved. He kept myself involved. He found, you know, Bong, even uh, Edward. Uh, and then yet, when he would come off the pick and roll off the triangle, he knew how to pick people apart. But then also, when it was a time like we need a big bucket, Johnny would, like, get out of the way. I got it. So, and we all got it. We all got out of the way. So no more triangles, uh, just a straight line, right? Just a straight line. Johnny's got it. Let him go. Uh, And incredible. You know, I see some of the shots he makes and some of the shots he took and the crucial times of games are just absolutely amazing. Uh, But the triangle offense allowed him to orchestrate it. He was the general manager back there uh, pointing us in the right direction. But if you look at, the high efficiency that we scored on fast breaks is what's really was impressive. Mm-hmm. And when we got on the break and we got on the run, Johnny made the right pass every time. You you won championships in 94 and 95 as well. But then, of course, 96 was like the the apex of all of this for you guys. Can you 
talk us through that Grand Slam season, you know, how it was in the locker room, how was the relationships among the players. Um, Giorgio Lastimosa, I just wrote an article about him the other day about his favorite season. He said it was 96. Uh, right. He said that it was like when he talked to Tim about that season, it was the closest to cruise control as a coach uh, for, for Tim because you guys were like, you knew what to do. Everybody, yeah. you know, was just in sync. So I, I don't know if you echo that and, and, you know, tell us about it. Yeah. Um, the toughest part was, like Tim said, with the series against Shell, against Kenny Redfield. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I had to come in on the last minute notice and, and take over um, for Derek Hamilton. And uh, I was not quite ready to be here because I was supposed to be coming in about another two months, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had two months to get in shape and I was just starting to really train and get back going. Um, and so uh, Tim calls me and say, you know, I need to come and replace Derek. So I get over there. I'm not really in game shape, but we had this, we snuck two games out and we snuck another game that we got the automatic bid into the finals of the, of the second conference of commissioners cup. And that was just such a dog fight to win that championship. And, uh, and one of the moments and Tim probably doesn't remember this, or maybe he does. Um, one of the moments in that game is when he kind of really made me, um, I was struggling because like, um, like I was saying before, the, the players that would have the most success for, against me would be somebody that would be about six four, six five, mm-hmm. athletic, that I really couldn't jump over, and they could not pull them away from the basket all the time. Well, Shell had Terry Daniel, Jolly Escobar, Benji Peraz, and then Kenny Redfield that can all match up with me that series. So I was having a tough series to try to be successful and still try to get in shape um, and try to still – and then they had a big import that I couldn't really – dominate him you know like i could the other imports that came in the third conference so once we pulled that off and won that series going into the third conference it was like everybody didn't have a chance no chance at all uh (laughs) but we lost our first three games in in the third conference (laughs) Uh but but the 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 beauty of our team back then was the next like after we lost our first three games i really i can remember today you I can remember the faces of Johnny Bong, Jojo, Edward, myself, and the rest of the guys, Ruel Gomez. Like, we're going to practice, and we're like, all right, guys, let's go. Come on. Right? We, we're not losing any more games. And I can remember our mindset going into that practice. Then I knew we were not going to lose another game. I knew everybody was like, okay, we just won the Commissioner's Cup. We had a bit of a letdown, you know, the, the, the championship high, then we had a draining – like, whoo, thank God we won that with now it's third conference. I remember losing the first three games. We were in practice, and everybody was like, let's go. We're not losing anymore. And we won on 13-game run. And we were definitely in cruise control. And at that point, I was by far on the top of the game, of my game ever. I was I was doing a little bit of everything. <laughs> I was hitting my mid-range jumpers. I was, you know, nonstop motor. Um I never felt like I got tired. I never got tired playing. I felt like he'd run all day. I, I remember it, it, it's so funny. I was watching a game when we were playing um, Santa Lucia, and I think I hit, like, my first, like, 13, like, something like 10 shots in a row. And I tell Johnny, I'm on fire. I'm on fire. Johnny goes, just calm down. <laughs> and then he goes, calm down, stay calm. And I think I missed the next five shots in a row, right? <laughs> <laughs> he doused, I, doused you, huh? 
Dallas, I missed the yeah. five shots in a row, and then the team, they actually made a run, but then we ended up coming back and beating them. But I was on fire. I was just couldn't miss. I was in jumpers and crossovers and everything. And um, But, yeah, uh, we were dominating. And I, I remember we would go into uh, – because we had the two miniseries before the finals then. So we played Santa Lucia, I think it was, and we dominated them. That was amazing. Then we played Shell, and uh, we just dominated Shell in two or three games in a row. And, until we got to Hinebra, and then we won the first uh, three games in the championship um, until they replaced Freddie Caulfield and brought over, uh, I think, Derek Rucker. Derek Rucker, Rucker over from, yes. yeah, mm-hmm. Derek Rucker from over from Australia. And then they won one, then we won the next one again. That, that, that last game was all Johnny. He was just incredible that last game in the Grand Slam. But uh, we were definitely hitting on all cylinders. And, and it was like, it was it's it's amazing when you watch the video because Johnny was so good, Bong was so good, uh, JoJo was incredible, yeah. and then I was playing at the top of my game at the time. You know, Jeffrey Curry also off the bench. You know, we were just really a loaded group of team at that time. And at '98, you almost had another one. That you were, yeah. you were saying, yeah. 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 Um, uh, if I could have redone it, I would have probably. Um, probably went a different direction on how I am. Um, you know, the management trusted me and who to bring over that year. And, and and I brought over a friend and instead of like, we really probably should have looked out for what we really needed at that time, knowing how much we were missing, but still it was a tough order. You know, it was mm-hmm. a tough order to try to right, win right. that without all those guys there and without having your coach there. Um, right. So, but again, we would all do it over for the country anytime you know yeah it was just just to let everyone know what what we're talking about in 1998 alaska won the first two conferences but in the third conference coach tim Cohn, jojo lastimosa who else went there jeffrey carriazo johnny abarientos had to play for the philippine team and derimdes as well you know so so that's why the lineup was really severely depleted in that third conference and yet and yet people thought you still could do it yeah we made it to the second round but we couldn't get past that one without those guys um and, and going back like we were in 96 our 90 i told tim our 97 team was probably the most dominating team when we added kenneth derimbus it wasn't fair you know because <laughs> um, then you had and then we had rodney santos at the coming off the bench mm-hmm. we were really dominating that year really and and that year was actually kind of a difficult time for me to find my game when i came back because um there really weren't a lot of balls to pass around, right? Because you had yeah, yeah, yeah. balls. <laughs> so here I was used to scoring almost 30 points a game. So I had to really kind of take a step back and start falling to more of a role, role player as an import, which I was glad to do, but it it took me a while to get there. 97 was a bit of a struggle for me until about midway into the conference. Then I started to find a good rhythm. Once we added Kenneth and Rodney Chantel was coming into his own and uh, and the other guys were be, you were just having such incredible careers, you know. So yeah. uh, I can't remember if it was uh, Jojo or Tim who said this, but uh, whoever said it said that the '98 team was actually better than the '96 Jojo, Jojo Grand said Slam that. team. Jojo, yeah. Jojo, yeah, yeah. He, he yeah. said the '98 team was actually pound for pound, man for man, better. Yeah, '96 team. Yeah. So uh, you guys don't know, I have six. I actually have seven championship rings. Okay. Okay. So in 98, 
I came over and played the first three games. Right, right, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and we absolutely destroyed everybody in those first three games, and I played uh, until our import arrived. Right. And, and so double I... Double D, I, double I, D. I, mm-hmm. Yep, Devin Davis, he was my recruit. I told Tim about Devin Davis. Um, is That's a great story. Tim, tell you about that story? No, no, no. I don't no, recall. No. Well, he's one of my favorite imports because he looks like a, a, a parakeet or something like that. Yeah, yeah. he had the Boston <laughs> Yeah. So I told Tim, I go, hey, I'm watching this NCAA basketball game at home, and there's a guy named Devin Davis playing for Miami of Ohio. He would be perfect for the PBA. I'm telling you. So Tim and I um, decide we're going to go to um, Idaho to go scout them play against the Idaho Stampede in the CBA. So we go there. And I don't know if we both were naive or we're both stupid. I don't know. Or we're both crazy. I don't know which one it is. We decided, I go, hey, they're done with the game. Let's go talk to him and, and give him one of our cards. Well, there's protocols in the NBA and the CBA. Like, you got to be a, a registered agent in order to go approach the players, right? Or say something to the players. And I'm like, Tim, don't worry about it. Let's go. Come on. What are they going to do? Kick us out of the arena? And so we go over to the players where the players are coming out or, or they're done, they're hanging out. They're coming out of the locker room. We get Tim's car. We walk up to Devin Davis and say, hey, you know, we're from the Philippines. We think you would be a great uh, recruit over there. We want to give you our card so you can think about coming to play for us one day. Right after that, here comes the security guard kicking us out of the arena because we're not supposed to talk to the players. <laughs> so, but he got so your card. He got our card. He got the card. He kept Devin the card. Davis. We got Devin Davis because of that. But I think Tim was like, no, 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 we can't do that. I'm going to come on, Tim. We're going to do kick us out. Uh, well, I'm yeah, pretty sure Devin Davis remembers your moxie. <laughs> remembers your moxie coming up. Who are these two guys? Yeah. They must be really yeah, desperate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so you, so, yeah, you were part of that championship team because you did play right. the first three games. Mm-hmm. And, and you know how the and you got works. And you got the import. So. And I got it. So, it, it, and if you don't, win those first three games in that series, and if you lose those first three games, it's hard to catch up. That's how the PBA works. If you lose those first three games, there's a chance they don't make it to the finals. There's a chance they don't make it out of the first round or the second round. If you're 0-3, you're pretty much, the season can be almost over with because back then I think it was only eight or nine teams. So you would have been at the bottom, you know. So the fact that we were, we went 3-0, we were leading the pack, we were, we're in first place, uh, I told management that I think I deserve a ring for 98. And, <laughs> and you got one. <laughs> and they, they gave me a championship ring for, for that season. Yeah. Yes, go ahead. During 98, it was it was like you almost had the Grand Slam, but then the Centennial team happened, and then they all had to go to Bangkok. Uh, but right. then there was something happening between Jojo Lestimosa and Tim Cohn over there. Were you aware yeah. of it that was happening? Or did you yes. become aware of it when they arrived? And then how did you fit into all of this? How did you help fix the situation, if ever? Yeah, so we knew that. So going over and kind of being considered like a role player or like Tim considered to be like an honor to let Joe to be part of the team and kind of be like the 12th or third man and kind of help kind of teach the guys the triangle and be kind of a, a, a guy just kind of a kind of like Larry Bird was. For the dream team, yeah, the, uh, the dream team, right? Larry Bird didn't play a lot that on that mm-hmm. team, right? Right. He mm-hmm. was just kind of because he was hurt, and he was kind of like a, just a kind of a spokesman guy. 
And I, I, I think Tim kind of visualized that that would happen with JoJo, but he forgot about JoJo's pride. <laughs> JoJo is <laughs> a pride, a pride from Filipino, and and that he feels like he was still as good or as talented as anybody else that you could have put out there on that roster. And so it did definitely get a riff. And then, and then as before they were about to leave, JoJo was like, "Why don't you just leave me with Sean and the other guys, and maybe we'll win a Grand Slam." And Tim thought JoJo was being ridiculous for that. And like, you know, and so it was all bad. And so I know when they came back, it was not a very good, um, it was not a very good culture or climate when they returned from that. But it, it's just, um, yeah, you know, and, and like, I think Tim regrets, like, you know, he would, he wish he could have done it better, like back then, you know, and JoJo's, there's yeah. one thing that I always work with JoJo and I still talk to JoJo, like some things, man, we have to let things go. You know, we can't like, you know, hold on to things and stay angry because other people are moved on about the mm-hmm. life that you're mad about and you're still mad about it. So it doesn't do you any good. So, uh, and I think Jojo definitely has grown from that and moved forward and learned how to let things go. Uh, but I know it took him a long time. Definitely. He felt like he was, you know, um, the thing about sports, we feel like, a lot of athletes feel like once we did this for an organization, we did this for a coach and we, we accomplished all these goals and we accomplished all these um, championships together. They feel like we, the athlete still feels like then the ownership or the coach owed them something. The thing about sports is that it's, it's, what have you done for me lately? It's constantly moving, which is a hard reality, you know, and it's for me as a coach, me as a player, I learned this as I go along, but um, you want to, you, I want to honor you for the player that you were in, what you've done for the player, for the team and the organization. But ultimately, the organization has to continue to move forward or will stay stagnant and will never, you know, recover from it. So I think that's one thing JoJo felt like, you know, hey, I've won mm-hmm. like nine, ten championships for this team. And I, or if for you as a coach, you owes me the respect to, you know, make, let me fail or let me succeed or whatever, you know, but at least give me that. And when I retired, I know I was not playing well, and I know that management was ready to make a move, and I did not want to make that a difficult situation for them as well. I knew letting me go was going to be kind of hard for everybody. Uh, like, I'm about to bring tear to my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did not want to have that over Tim or have that over Fred. I mean, a 13-year career in the Philippines and six yeah. championships or seven championships is I would do it all over again. You know, and they didn't owe me to keep let me finish out that season in 2001, you know, and the way that they allowed me to retire and the way they allowed me to have the ceremony in the mm-hmm. halftime of a game. Um, priceless. Well, you deserved it. You you earned it. Thank you. Right? Yeah. 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 What, what was what was that like? I, I always wanted to know what it was like, because I wow. believe that you are the first <laughs> import uh, yeah. Is he the first import uh, or only import, right, uh, guys? The only have import with number, number retired by an right. organization. I mean, the kind of respect given to you by the Alaska uh, organization is phenomenal. What was going through your mind when you, when you first heard that there will be a ceremony, that you yeah, will have your jersey uh, retired? I'm trying not to have a Jerry Maguire m- moment over here right <laughs> now. That's fine. Just four of us. Four guys here. Gotta, <laughs> I gotta maintain my my toughness in the Philippines. But... <laughs> man, you have to look so, back. You have to look back. Yeah, real the real men cry. It's all right. Yeah. So yeah. So 
actually going to do a ceremony at halftime. I had no idea what it was going to be like. Um, but they they didn't tell me they're going to retire my jersey. They just said they're going to have a ceremony. Like, you know, they're going to have like a farewell at the game. So I go there. They have the jersey. And I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. Um, <laughs> Tim is like, he ain't a crier. You know, like he said, he's not a crier. Um, but you can tell he's a little shook up. I'm like, oh, my God, what's going on here? Fred is just class act personified. Um, I didn't know that um, that there was a TV um, highlights going on by Vintage. So I recorded it, and I have it still today. Um, but there was a highlight of my whole career that was played on TV during the halftime show. And then um, uh, my, my good buddy Vince was on the microphone, you know, um, yeah. The same statements about my career in the Philippines. And so I go out there, retire my jersey. They give me the, the microphone to speak. And I'm like, I don't know, you know, you kind of one of those things where you're kind of like just in the moment and you just kind of like speak from the heart. And I just really share like, you know, how it's been such a journey for me to first come over here as a guest to play in the IBA and, and, and be somebody that people really didn't know to later um, to be a player and import uh, to play for one of the teams to, and later on to become part of the actual Filipino family and the way people have accepted me across the country and across uh, the PBA is that now I felt like I was truly um, one of their own. I wasn't an outsider anymore. I was basically uh, a Pinoy at heart. And so um, so I was like, you know, so big emotional part of that was in my career I played with I cannot tell you almost two three hundred two hundred guys maybe from ninety nine from nineteen eighty nine to two thousand one I probably played with almost two hundred different guys almost maybe um uh, on our team in Alaska you know mm-hmm. and I've been through I went from the nineteen eighties the nineties to two thousand I played in three different you know decades. um decades so Frankie Lim was there. Uh, Jojo, Bong, they were there. Um, B-Boy Ravonis were there. Um, uh, Don, Don Aldeado was there. Um, all my old teammates, my closest, dearest friend, they were there for that halftime ceremony. And so they all welcomed me when I was walking off the court. That was uh, uh, Mark Kawanko was the first guy that came in and hugged me. You know, um, and it was like Burrell Manessas, like all those guys, the guys that I competed against were there, Alvin, you know, and so it was, it was just, I don't know, it's a tearjerker. <laughs> so, it's okay. <laughs> what, a yeah. way to cap, what a way to cap such a, such a great uh, career, but, but I'd like to, like to ask, did, did any other PBA team approach you in those 13 years and say, yeah. hey, Chan, can we get you when, when Alaska didn't get you for right away or something? Did anyone try to pry you away from the Alaska franchise? Yeah, yeah. It's a good question. Um, I, I say this all the time. I am a loyalist at all. Once Alaska got me, I was Alaska in and out, and I was going to make Alaska the best team organization that I can possibly make it. And I was going to represent this organization to the fullest of my ability and make sure that we were like 
as well known as any other team in the country. And I think we did that. You know, at one point, I think we were one of the next team ever. We were the next most popular team in the country. Yeah, I'm looking over at the Facebook page right now. Uh, there's somebody here. Uh, Lawrence uh, Andrew Fernandez, or Lance Fernandez, is asking, what's your favorite Filipino food? Just to break the truth. Um, I mean, I can't say my favorite. There's plenty. Of course, I, um, I do <laughs> pancit. I do adobo. Um, I still today go to Jollibee's here. Um, I go to Chow King here in the Sacramento. I go get my Tocino and um, my beef tapa um, yeah. still today. Yeah. 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 So when you were when you were in the Lisa. Philippines, yeah, when, when you were in the Philippines, where did you like to hang out besides Stargazer, of course? Yeah, sorry. Well, I actually lived at Prince Plaza right in, in Greenbelt, so I was able to go out and get my like mm -hmm. walk around and get a little bit of outside time when I was needed to go walk around and go to the movies in the Greenbelt Mall area. Mm -hmm. That was my kind of get outside mm -hmm. the house area. And then I yeah, I actually spent a lot of time at the New World <laughs> Hotel. You okay. okay. Yeah, those are my friends there. They've been knowing me for my whole life. They see me grow up at the New World Hotel. The people are still the same. They were at the first desk there. You know, yeah. Coach Louis Alas. Yeah, Louis Coach Louis Alas' wife. wife. Yeah. She works yeah. there. Yes, yes. She's been so there for, for forever. Come, forever. So when I come back, I stay at the New World Hotel every year. That's where I stay. All yeah. right. Well, you did mention Greenbelt, and it brought back some <laughs> memories yeah, about that. Yes. We were talking about on Facebook. So uh, just for those of you who don't know the story, uh, somebody actually tried to snatch Sean Chambers' clutch bag and Sean Chambers yeah. being uh, supposed to be a U.S. Olympian athletics <laughs> member just ran after the guy and, and was able to retrieve it. So I thought it was an urban legend, but it, it actually happened, yeah. right, Sean? So what happened was, I remember there used to be a place called Coney Island. I remember you guys mm -hmm. remember that. It used to be a yeah, hot dog yeah. place in the Philippines. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there was, there was one in Greenbelt, so I went to go have lunch, and I had a little clutch bag. And, and I did have some money in there, my ID and stuff like that in the bag. I set it down at the table, and, and then another guy sat in front of me, and I was like, okay, this is weird. And I thought the guy was a basketball fan. He was going to ask me for my autograph, and he does not ask me for my autograph. He ended up leaving, and I watched him leave this way. I go bite down my sandwich, and another guy grabs my bag this way and i jump up and go hey what are you doing and he takes off running and i'm going do i eat my hot dog or do i go chase the guy <laughs> <laughs> can't believe so, that was the choice <laughs> yeah so here we go running all the way through Greenbelt Mall and upstairs and around and I'm chasing. That's and, a long chase. And, 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 and this is like, I think this is like 90, maybe 94, 93. I was pretty popular now. I was well known. So I'm running through Greenbelt Mall. So everybody in the mall is going, whoa, that's Sean Chambers. What is he doing running in the mall, right? So they're watching me run and they're watching me run. And then we go upstairs up by the theaters. And I finally grabbed the guy. Now, you cannot make this up. This is beautiful. Um, I grabbed the guy. Standing right next to me when I grabbed the guy is Mr. Wilfred Uitensu's secretary. Are you serious? And, just just yes, by chance? By chance. Because she, you know, our office, Corinthia Plaza, is across the street yeah. from Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it is, it is, yeah. So, it, oh, but I'm sorry. I didn't mention. This was at like 12.30 in the afternoon, lunchtime. So it's packed. So people are all in the mall, right? So I catch the guy. She goes, she goes, Sean, she's freaked out. She's panicked. She goes, what is going on? I go, this guy tried to take my bag, right? 
And so I got the bag. She goes, what? And standing next to her was one of Mr. Uitinsu, I believe, bodyguards. They, they arrested the guy. Okay, wow. Great. great. They arrested the guy. <laughs> and so the guy was from Kiapo. And um, the the crazy part was they put the newspaper, Sean Chamber Dunks Snatcher, but they put my address, they put his name in the paper, and it was a big story from that. Yeah. And what it was, matter of fact, I know what it was. It could have been actually, I think it was 91, actually. It was 91 because it was right before the championship series. Okay. So all the Alaska wives were nervous because they knew my name was in the paper. They were worried that I'm not, I might not be focused on the championship. I'm like, never mind. I got the book back. I got my bag back. It's exactly. okay now. Yeah, I lost my hot dog though. Yeah, yeah, you lost your hot dog that day. I'm sure you got you got to eat a lot more hot yeah. dogs after that. Yeah, and I'll tell you, even a crazier story was for '94 '95 championship. I had a fan who wrote a book about me, an actual book. She wrote a a, a book and it had a binder and everything about meeting me falling in love with me, then falling out of love with me. And then I married somebody else and had a family. And at the end of the book, she kills me. What? Wow. <laughs> wow. So, yes. Is she still yes. around? I still have the book. It's in my, it's, I have the book that in my- sounds in my like, uh, That sounds like a Stephen, yeah, Stephen that, King novel, right? That might call for a restraining order or something. Yeah. <laughs> so because of that book, I was like, this is funny and kind of crazy. I showed it to, I remember showing it to Bong's wife, JoJo's wife, and all the players' wife. They demanded for Mr. Uitinsu to get me a bodyguard because they thought my life was in danger right before the playoffs. And I was like, no, I'm not going to have a bodyguard. Not happening. But they really thought my life was in danger because the girl killed me in the book. And she delivered the, she delivered the book to my condo. Uh-oh. Okay. So she knows where you live. Yep. I, I don't know how. No, but that, that, Sean, that story is the perfect segue to what I'm going to ask you now. You were here, you know, as an import for 13 seasons, as you said, you know, a long period. You're in the Philippines. You practically lived here sometimes for, for months in a row. Did any, yeah, did, did any Filipina catch your attention, yeah. steal your heart? Like some oh, of the other wow. imports who were <laughs> wow. here, who were here for like one conference and they have a girlfriend already, you know, and a guy, you know, right. we can name names. We can name, even name the, right. the girls. How about you, Sean? Was there anyone um, who? Champray. <laughs> Champray. <laughs> there, there were several uh, Filipinas that I met and dated during my time there. Uh, but back then, the difficult was, the difficulty was there was no cell phone, no internet. There was no social media or a way to stay in contact mm -hmm. without spending a lot of money when I went back to the States. So I've always kind of lost contact and then things kind of happened in between then and there. And, uh, but sure, there were a few that I, I thought that I may be Mrs. Chambers in the Philippines, but mm -hmm. because of that space in between when I left and came back, you know, things always kind of trans transition different directions. I guess that's the best way I can say it. <laughs> right, right. No, yeah. Obviously, you were here such a long time, so you know, it makes people yes. wonder. Obviously, you, you'll develop relationships while you're over here. Yeah, and it was funny because it was one of the girls that I dated when I when I first came over. Um, we met. We met there. We dated, and then I was at home. And then when I went home, she moved to the states. When I went back to the Philippines, so we were like, 
went different directions again. But, you know, and again, like, you know, right, there's no Skyping back then. There's no internet. There's no phone. I mean, we we, we moved in such a, a rapid speed now in this world, unlike we did back then, you know. And, you know, it was like really sitting down and write a letter back then, a pencil and paper was, <laughs> was what you had to do. Do you still have an official capacity with, with the Alaska team uh, to this day? So I still serve as a consultant um, uh, for the organization. Uh, Mr. Ui Chensu does a great job of keeping me close and, and keeping our, our legacy alive by keeping some of the older guys involved with the organization. Um, he entrusted me and Coach Jeff Cardiazzo and the rest of the, and, and Dickie Backman. They entrusted me a lot to help um, find our imports. Mm-hmm. Um uh, see if we can find the next Devin Davis or Sean Chambers. Um, I was responsible for, um, I can't think of what's his, uh, Campbell, the guy we had last year that ended up leaving in the yeah, middle yeah. of the year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I brought him over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so we, if if we do resume to get back to basketball, they're going to entrust with me to help find what imports, because they know I know what, it's, what a successful import looks like is what they're going to, how they're going to play in the Philippines, you know. Um, being uh, how the guy's personality is, his work ethic, and um, his skill level, what works in the Philippines, and what we need for our team. Yeah, uh, Sean, um, you know, Tim Cohen, of course, is now with Inebra, and he also has a, another resident import right now in, uh, yes. in Justin Brownlee. I know you've met him. Uh, yes. um, do you see any similarities between you and, and Justin with regard to being... Your journey's you know, similar, uh, though. Your journey's similar. Yeah, you, you, you were both replacement yeah. imports, and you yeah. both won championships with Tim Cohn. And, uh, how is he? Okay, Justin is phenomenal. He is really an incredible player. Um, I don't see myself compared to his skill level. Um when I go back and watch some of the games in my prime, I do see where there's some ways where I was kind of dominating games, but it was just on a different way because I was closer to the basket. But Justin can shoot threes, he can get to the rim, and he kind of just allows the game to come to him in a right way. Um, um, I just I, – I, I think I dominated because I had such great teammates around me that we did it as a complete unit. Um, but I – great guy – Got a chance to meet him uh, a couple of times, and um, he is such a perfect fit for the Philippines and for the. And so right now, I, I remember um, when I was starting to kind of dominate the league in '94, '95, and '96, and 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 Bobby Park said this to me. We we were talking about you know the players and the imports, and 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 I actually I met Bobby Park and Norman Black out. We went out to go eat dinner one time, and and they were saying everybody's trying to now find an import to match up to me right it was everybody's trying to find a player that can match up to you now it ain't me anymore bobby said it's you now you're the you're the the level where everybody has to get to is finding the right import so now all of us everybody in the league is trying to find who can we get to compete against brownlee justin everybody i mean ourselves alaska that's where he has set the bar at such a high level with his skill level and his work ethic and and just being such a great guy, you can just tell the guy's mm-hmm. a great guy and he plays again the right way. Um, so Tim, I don't know how Tim does it. He always just finds these right guys that fit the culture and fit uh, the talent of what he needs for his team. And Justin is perfect for him never. And so everybody across the league from in-legs to talking tags, Alaska, we're all trying to find somebody like just when we're recruiting imports, we're all thinking of Justin Brownlee, <laughs> which is, wow. which is, 
right? Which is a problem because we need to probably think outside the box because we're not going to find a Justin Brown. We're not going to find a guy like that. He's mm-hmm. very unique in what he does. And that's how you kind of get yourself in the, in a in the pickle because you're trying to find somebody like him or somebody who can compete against him. And so, and I think that's what it was like for, uh, in my era, if you're trying to find somebody to play exactly like me around the basket, the energy, the effort, and what I brought to the table, you weren't going to find another guy at six one, six two that did what I did. It's just right. right? If you find a guy that's six two, six at my height, they were playing guard basketball. They were playing straight guard position. And so, therefore, you were in a tough situation to try to find somebody that was going to match up to me. Right. You mentioned I that think- you, you had dinner with uh, with uh, uh, Bobby Parks and Norman Black. I mean, just yes. a, imagining the three of you together, that's like, that's like the entire history of the PBA right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just, to be, just to be honest and, with you. But you did win another award besides the fact that your jersey was retired. That was Mr. 100%. It was only given to one other player before you. So in the history of the PBA, only you and Norman Black have been given this award. Tell us about the, the uh, receiving the 100% uh, award and what it was like, what, what it meant to you. Yeah, so when I came over in 91, and we knew, I, I can't remember my numbers, but I, I, I had a pretty heck of a year in 91. I know I, I was pretty good. Uh, and I knew I was so bent on trying to win a championship after the way we lost in 90. And um, so, and then the beat Wes Matthew was like the crowd darling. And I think he won the best import that year. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, yes. But I think I had a better season than he did. But I, I remember, and I just knew the championship was so much more to me than, it, than the best import award. And so when we had the, we had a, we had a, a ceremony that day. It was like a ceremony, like at a, at a theater, um, the end of the year awards for the PBA. And when I was given this award, I was, I knew instantly this is, was going to be way bigger than any best import award. Cause there's the best import on two different conferences all year long, but to be nominated, uh, the Mr. 100% award by, uh, the commissioner at the time, it was like, I knew that was something special that was going to be part of my legacy for the rest of my life. I knew that. And like you say, having dinner with Bobby and Norman Black that day, I, I kind of felt it was like the three generation, like you said, was passing the torch. Yeah. It went from Norman to Bobby, from Bobby to me, you mm-hmm. know, and you're right. It was three different generation of dominance of us dominating the league and, and being good guys and doing it the right way. Right. And, right. Uh, and, and right. so I knew that was the crowd. Like I was always wanted to be part of mentioned. I wanted to be mentioned part of Norman. I want to be mentioned part of Bobby and then, and then include myself in that conversation. Well, you are right now. And then you deserve that too. But now my <laughs> next question is Justin Brownlee. Does he get the 100% award next? Um, I think the commissioner should bring that back. I, I think it's something that it should be considered if he's not ever in a situation where he was probably um, uh, awarded the best import award. Uh, and I think, because uh, they won this, they won the championship last year and he didn't get the best import. No, no he didn't. No. He didn't. Right. He's yeah, gotten it once. once. He's gotten it once in the, in the, like Sean Chambers only won the commissioner's once. cup. He's won yeah. it once in the commissioner's cup. Yeah. I, I should have got it in 94 and I should have got it in 95. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, because I think a great 90- case for those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, 95 was, uh, we gave it to the big guy. He was like, I think Pepsi had a 6'5 or 6'4. They had a, 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 a quotient that have a big mm-hmm. import that year, and he got the best import, and he shouldn't have. Uh, uh, 
it should have went because it was like a 6-3 Compton and they had a 6-6 import. But anyways, I digress. But yeah, I, I do. I would definitely advocate for Brownlee if he was ever in a situation again where they make a strong run to the season and he did not get the best import award, he should be awarded the 100% award because he, he plays that way all the time. Yeah, but you guys were all you guys are all icons uh, in the in PBA history. Yeah. There's one of the guys on the Facebook feed, Michael Villar, Chu, one of our guys at, at the at the network. He he says that the term uh, your name has become a term in Philippine basketball. When yeah. you make a shot, they say chambers, yes. chambers meaning meaning chamba, chamba, chamba. Yeah, chambers. But but that that's because of you. So they got that from yeah. your name. But but your career was not your career was not chamba at all. It was all hard work, well, uh, and you put yeah. in the dedication and all of that. And that's that's something we all appreciate. What does Sean Chambers do today? I'm sure all the fans want to know what what are you up to. Man, I'm like a little bit of everything. Like we mentioned about being like in a consultant with Alaska and, and looking mm -hmm. for players and working with Alaska coaching staff. Like I said, I was there in November. And I had a really good chance of running the, the practice and team uh, workouts for a week. With Jeff gave me the whole team and said, it's yours, you know, do what you want to do. And it was pretty cool because I coach uh, women's basketball, high school basketball here for the girls' side. And a lot of my girls are – go to major university. One of my kids just committed to the University of Stanford, uh, Stanford University, and one of the top programs in the country. Uh, and so it was really cool to see like some of the, the things that I implement here on the female level, how it translated over to professional men in the PBA. It was it was absolutely phenomenal to see the how it, how it progressed and how it translated over. It's just faster, bigger, and stronger. Uh, but the attention to details and attention to um, uh, to the fine line that we look for uh, for our for our players it worked it, it was beautiful over there so I do that and then um, I don't know if you guys know but I'm an assistant principal slash dean of students at a middle school so I do discipline for seventh and eighth graders here in Sacramento we got about 800 students I actually employ four teachers from the Philippines they're here on t yeah they're here on teachers contracts uh working in our district uh my custodian my custodian he's from um La laguna yeah my, mm -hmm. he's from the philippines and i have like about 12 students who are from the philippines on my campus wow. so i'm constantly <laughs> got the filipino culture around me and reminded daily uh and then uh you know i'm a father uh, of two wonderful kids and um, just, and I have my club program is called just, just bleed sports. And it, it's, um, I have about 120 kids in my club program. Uh, you know, you're just listening to, to what you're saying, what you're doing right now. It sort of reminds me of the career path after basketball of a certain Ricardo Brown. Yeah. I was about to mention. Yeah. Who you uh, cross yeah. paths with. I mean, Started yes. as a player, but now he's involved with uh, with students. Uh, so he, he's a principal, yeah. actually. He's a principal yeah, now. he's the principal at a middle school as well in Orange County. So I I, I chat with uh, Ricardo Brown quite often, and we talk about middle school stuff, um, and we share stories. Um, he's doing a wonderful job out there at his school, and uh, especially when I first started uh, as, as an administrator, it was some things that I had to um, shift over from my basketball mind. Because my basketball mind is I wanted to win at everything. I wanted to win in everything. As an administrator, I had to learn how to um, work things out. Let's work this together. We're in the betterment for all the students, and we're here for student outcome. And 
You know, you may come with an argument. I don't have to win my argument. Let's try to work it together. So, um, but my mentality as a basketball player and my desire to win definitely translate into wanting to run the best school possible. So work ethic is work ethic. It's whether you want to be a, a great basketball player with your work ethic or be a, a great administrator, you, you come to work on time. You, you, you have structure. Uh, you put things in place. And, and you follow a game plan. It's just like a basketball. So you do that as an administrator too. Yeah. So I have, I have one last question before before I uh, leave it with these gentlemen uh, for you, Sean. And uh, mm -hmm. I remember yeah. I, was, I was kidding Norman Black about this uh, when we were interviewing him. They gave the 100% award to two marginal free throw shooters. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, I, I remember better. when I was new in the PBA in 97, I actually had a chat with you in 97 and I asked you about your, your free throw percentage and you your explanation to me was, well, I'm not moving when I'm taking free throws. I remember that. I remember yeah. you asked me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not moving. Yeah. So it, it's harder to shoot free throws standing still. So did you finally get over that hump when you're teaching your girls now how to shoot free throws? So it's, it's, it's thing ever. Um, not shoot hardly any three-point shots mm -hmm. Yeah. in the PBA. Yeah. I am a phenomenal three-point shooter coach. Wow. Because all the things that I did not get instructed to me to work on the technique and fundamentals and follow through and shooting and my elbow, all that stuff, I studied it, I mastered it, now I teach it. My girls' program is the best three-point shooting team in the probably close to the nation. We're phenomenal three-point shooters because that's what we focus on because those are the, the things that I was handicapped at is what I teach well, right? And so that goes a free throw. So I remember you asked me this, and I remember this back in 97. When my story was, I'm always on the go, and my motor's mm -hmm. always going in the middle of the game. Then all of a sudden, I got to stop, slow down, focus, and shoot a free throw. And it just wasn't part of my, my natural rhythm. I remember giving you advice. In fact, why don't you take a jump shot at the free throw line? I think I even <laughs> said that to you, right? Of yeah, course, you never did it. And then I said, I'm going to look sit at Ulu Telaga when I'm coming the air on the free yeah. yeah. So, you know, so, but in 96 and 97, you know, I did become a pretty good free throw shooter because yes, uh, TM Cone, like I said, I stayed, Ruel Gomez is one of the, one of the guys I owe a lot to because he's one of the best shooters of all time. And I stayed with him one summer and stayed in shot at Reyes gym and didn't go home. I stayed home, stayed in the Philippines for like two, three months. Mm -hmm. Uh -huh. extra just to work on my game to get ready for the next conference and see that was the thing i would do when i left like you know i came in like in august and stayed till december we won those championships always at christmas time my whole preparation from january to august was to get ready for the next third conference my whole mindset was always i got to be the best i can be for the next third conference that's how i left the country <laughs> you know I celebrate for like January, and then it was like back to business. I got five months to get ready. Wow, amazing! So you know, yeah. Sid has a couple of questions for you, but right before he asks you those questions, I just need to tell you that there's a there's an Alaska fan, and he's he's probably the number one Alaska fan in in the okay. nation because he whenever there's an Alaska uh, player related yes. to your team. You know, he, he comments and he, he's really anticipating you guys to be guests on our show. His name is Napoleon yeah. Federer, okay? Okay. Like like Roger Federer, Napoleon Federer. Yeah. And, he, and he's been you know putting all sorts of trivia about the team on the feed yes. and all of that. 
and you know, and and I, 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 I'm sure he'd love a shout out from you, uh, Sean Napoleon Federer. Napoleon Federer, thank you so much um, for supporting Alaska Ace Kids, Walapoli Tatalo Sa Alaska, Manami Salamit Paul. Um, thank you for all your support, and um, um, really, uh, we couldn't be anything uh, without our fans and our fan support. So we are very grateful to all the the people out there who support our team. Manami Salamit Paul. And this guy knows everything. I said everything yes. about Alaska. Oh yeah, yeah. everything. <laughs> I just saw what is Boyet said. I just saw Boyet. Yeah, Boyet. Boyet, 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 season. Boyet season. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he says hi. And he says hey, he lives Boyet, right there. He lives right behind Reyes Gym. Yeah, that's true. Oh my God. That's actually true. <laughs> I, I love Boyet. Boyet's always been a very good supporter of mine, and he's been so so dear to me. Thank you, Boyet. Oh, shit. It's, it's All right, go, go ahead, Sid. Yeah. Well, okay, Sean, <laughs> I, I usually ask. Uh, our guests for their top five favorite teammates. But since you've played for last sure. year, entire PBA career, uh, we sure. can pretty much uh, guess what you're going to, sure. your answer is going to be. So I'm going to ask you something yeah. different. I'm going to ask sure. you something different. Who were the top five PBA players you wish you could have played with? Alvin Patrimonio. Um, I wish I would have played with Verhel Manessis. Um, I'm going to say I, I wish I played with Marlu Aquino. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna probably say Nelson Isaitono was phenomenal, and I'm gonna finish up with ah, I'm gonna take Nelson. I'm sorry, Nelson. I'm gonna go with Benji and Ronnie Masonic. Okay. I, I love Ronnie. those two, man. Oh, Nelson's man, your sixth the... man. Yeah. Nelson's, Nelson's my sixth man. Yeah, <laughs> right. Sorry, uh, Alan Kaidek, you were close. <laughs> sorry, buddy. <laughs> uh, who, was, who was the guy you had a hard time going up against be it a local Easy. or an import yeah. who guarded yeah, you well like, I, none of the locals gave me problems when I was in my prime as I got older uh, the locals were tough I mean the, the, the imports got tougher um, I had a hard time with Derek Brown when I was older but I, I was he came you know when I was not in my prime with Derek Brown and uh, Lamont's brother started getting the best of me after 98, like in 99 and 2000, Lamont was starting to take off on me and have really, and I couldn't keep up with Lamont, but, um, import wise, I mean, local wise, it was by far, um, Jerry, I had the hardest time with him because he was so smart. Um, other guys I had a tough time with Zaldi, Ray Lubed and, um, but Zal and, 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 um, who am I thinking from, um, Dignity, Javez. Yves Dignadice was also pretty good, too, because of his length. Um, but I was a little bit more physical than Yves when I got close to the basket. But Jerry was big. I couldn't get physical with him. I had to really try to be quick with him and get my shot off faster. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I did not like um, Terry Saldana. I thought <laughs> I didn't like playing against him. There's a post. He's in the poster with you. You just gave him an elbow uh, on the poster. <laughs> I did not like playing Terry Sedano at all. Every yeah, oh, yeah. I cannot stand playing against Terry. He was such a, a bruiser. Okay. Toughest import. So, like I said, when I got older, Derek Brown. Yeah, but Derek before Brown. then, like from 94, 95, 96, um, I felt like I could compete with any of the imports out there. Um um, and I felt like there was a, there was a thing about, it, like I said, it was more, they were coming to my home court now. Like I had the advantage of the, the way the PBA game was, the way the style of the game was, um, 
Kenny Travis was dynamite. He's a good friend of mine. He was yeah. he was really good. Uh, but Kenny Kenny's handicap was Kenny loses his cool a little bit. You know, That's he right. got a little upset. So mm-hmm. so Kenny uh, couldn't control that. So um, so as the guy as like I said, as I got older, the guys that were really good was Derek Brown and, and Lamont Struthers. But I kind of get some good imports. Derek Schultz is really good. Yeah, there's a whole yeah, bunch of guys. Derek yeah, Queen is Harris. really good. Queen Tony Harris. Good. And, and I'll give Tony Harris um, a lot of props. Um, Tony Harris was just like the hurricane. He came in and he blew out really fast. <laughs> um, right? But he was such a phenom when he came in. When I remember scrimmaging Tony Harris, uh, we had a scrimmage somewhere. And he was I, he was so good, it was almost it was like too good to be true. Like in the scrimmage, I'm like, this guy can't be this good. He, he, we scrimmed him at Reyes Gym, and it was like Tim and I were both like, whoa, this is kind of scary. Uh, <laughs> but he came in so fast and so dominating, and he blew out so fast, and he didn't. If he would have maintained a personality like Lamont Struthers or Derek Brown, we'd be talking to Tony Harris as the greatest of all time. But we talked to Tony Harris, it was a two season, two years of amazing and then it was the way he went out was also yeah. really bad yeah. he didn't go well, he out came back in 98 he came back in 98 yeah. but he wasn't yeah. the same yeah nowhere the same yeah nowhere the yeah. same yeah nowhere the same and, and that's what i mean and, but it was i don't know if it was a matter of the way he came in and everything was so big and i don't did he win a championship i'm not sure he did one. Two. his first one they won one yeah. Yeah. His oh, first conference, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they swept yeah. Uh, Del Demps. They swept Del Demps. Yeah, yeah. like you said, he came in and he really took the league by storm. Championship right away, scoring 100, yeah. you know, like 70s, yeah. 80s all the crazy. time. And then he was gone. I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. Out. Uh, okay, then, uh, then just before we wrap this one up, uh, because, you know, sure. we, we've, yeah, we've been going on. It's, he's, Pretty cool. They use his name for the best import award now, Bobby Parks. Can you tell us? You know what you think? Your thoughts about Bobby Parks? Uh, you went up against him uh, a lot. Yeah, I played against Bobby so much, um, and it, it's kind of there's two parts in my career in the Philippines when I started to realize we were really good, we were going to be dominating, and we were on the top of our game in the league. Um, once we started beating San Miguel, was the first one. We could not beat San Miguel ever in my career from 98, 90, 91, uh, is when we first had our first career win. My first career win against San Miguel, I think it was in 91, when we finally won a championship. Um, so then that happened. And then in 94, when I came back after my injury, I started winning games against Bobby Parks. I was like, oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm actually beating the greatest player in the Philippines because when I came in 98, 90. All the way through 1994, Bobby Parks was just the most dominating player at all aspects of the game. You know, he was rebounding, he was shooting, he was defending, he was passing, and the whole time he was like this, completely (laughs) emotionless, stoic, goes about his business, go home, come back and do the next, the same day, just completely stoic, never got rattled. You know, guys will try to foul and get him out of his game. He never showed ever any time that he would lose his composure. He was just the most gifted, dominated guy I've ever seen play. And then in 95 and 96 and 97, we were both playing like in the offseason in Indonesia. 
So I played for a team in Indonesia. We were both in Jakarta right before I would come back in August. And mm-hmm. he was still the same guy. He was just, it was all business. Go out and have fun afterwards, all business. And so um, when I would come back home to the Philippines, um, as soon as I land off the plane, Bobby would be the first guy I call. And then we would go eat dinner like three, four times a week, you know. Uh, and then, like I said, he started telling me when I started shifting my mindset, when Bobby started saying, well, you are now the the caliber everybody's trying to recruit against that, where they're mm-hmm. trying to find guys to compete against you. You are now the bar. He said, you're the bar. He goes, you're the bar for all the imports. I go, get out of here, Bobby. No, I'm not. <laughs> you're still the man. He goes, no, you're the man now. You are the man, and everybody's trying to compete against you now. Everybody's trying to find somebody to stop Sean Chambers. And I was like, wow, that was really? Really? Yeah. And so then I yeah. knew, I was like, okay, I'm probably on the top of my game right now. I better enjoy it while I can. <laughs> I'm sure that that tickled you when he said that. When that's the, the, the late, yeah. great Bobby Parks, we miss yes. him. But his son yeah. is yeah. there now to try to, you know, achieve some legacy. stuff like his, like his dad did. Yeah, continue that legacy. Did you say well, anything to Bobby Ray? Uh, I mean, Ray Ray? What, so, what, yeah, what yeah. So, you know, when Ray Ray was in the um, D-League, um, I got a chance to go to Vegas with for Alaska and I got a chance to go meet him and talk to him. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance for this story. This is a crazy story. So with my <laughs> girls basketball club team, um, uh, we went to Memphis about, you know, about 10, 15 years ago. Um, we're in Memphis and I get on the, and again, before cell phones really get going, I get off the plane, we're on a shuttle bus, we're about to go rent a car. And I tell the shuttle bus guy, I go, hey, I got a buddy out here. I don't know how to get a hold of him. Maybe you might know him. His name is Bobby Park. The bus driver says, Absolutely. I know Bobby Parks. His son is our star basketball player at the middle school, and I can get a hold of Bobby for you. Bobby, in about four hours later, was at my hotel. That's Pick great. me up. Oh. <laughs> I just ran with the, and so we go, I go watch Ray Ray. Ray Ray was about 13 years old. He was playing in a little open gym pickup, and I was watching him play, and Bobby was at that time trying to decide between him and his wife, should he stay here in the States or should they go back to the Philippines? Should they stay in the mm-hmm. States? And 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 we went, I, I mean, we were together about, I was there for a week in Memphis for this basketball tournament. We were together for about five days of that, seven days we were there. And I said, Bobby, go back to the Philippines, man. Take him back to the Philippines. And he and, and two years later, they came back to the Philippines. Yeah. And now, so, yeah, and now he's trying to make a name for himself. Now he's making a for himself. So that's my we, connection with Ray Ray and Bobby when he was a baby. Yeah, every guy. Wow. That's great. Well, Sean, you know, this is your time. You say say uh, whatever, greetings, uh, you know, shout outs to anybody you want to hear. This has been a great interview. Be listening and will be watching this. Yeah. Oh, man. One of the best you know, interviews. That could know, take another hour, though. Yeah. I know, right. I mean, my <laughs> journey to the Philippines, like, it's, it's, it's very, it's, 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 it's like dreams come true. You know, my whole journey, when I first started, you know, I was there in 89 when we had the little cool attempt. Mm-hmm. And, and so, <laughs> and I remember telling my mother that that was a joke. It's not really, it's not really happening, you know? So, uh, and the love that I continue to get from the Philippines today, um, not only there in the Philippines, but here in, at home in the States is, it, it touches my heart. It touches my kids' heart, my family. Everybody's just blown away that I'm just still considered such a, a an icon there in the country, and um, somebody that people look up to. and uh, And I don't understand why God has put me in this place, but I'm grateful for every grateful. And I'm for every humble by this experience. 
Um, I have the best friends in the world. I was just texting this morning with Johnny A and JoJo and Bong and everybody because it's, it's happy birthday to Gus Vargas. It's our team uh, trainer. It's trainer. his birthday yeah, yesterday. Yeah. yeah. So we were all wishing him a happy birthday. But um, I don't know what other import is still connected to the team like this with the Uchinsu family. And, and, and I'm like and a consultant and a paid consultant for the team, which is awesome. And to have the relationship with my former teammate, I always call him the rookie because he was my rookie coach, Jeff Cariasso. Uh When he came in, he was our rookie. Um, so um, I, I'm, I'm always lost for words because the words cannot express my, my deepest love and respect that I have for the country and, uh, and for the people there in the country. Uh, one of my favorite stories also is when I got a chance to meet uh, President Aquino uh, we were eating at a, a little Italian restaurant in, in Greenbelt. And um, when I was leaving, she waves me over to come over. And of course, we know she has about 15 bodyguards with her back in the day then. And I'm like, you want me? And I'm like, she goes, yes, come here. And at the time, Mr. Fredo Uitensa was also in the restaurant having lunch. And uh, I go over, She she just says she wanted to shake my hand because she goes that I was her all-time favorite import because I always played the game the right way and I always show respect for the Filipino people. And And she wanted to thank... Yeah. She wanted to thank me for being the player that I was. So then I walk out, Mr. Uitens is going, what (laughs) is going on? And I just tell him, "Uh, when we sign our next contract, that's going to cost you. So, so. <laughs> that's great. Also, great her daughter used to watch your practices, so I guess. Uh... Yeah, and Chris used to come to our practice. So, yeah. but yeah, that's that's my life in a nutshell in the Philippines. I'm forever grateful, man. Forever grateful. And the Filipino I, fans I, I are retired. grateful to you as well. They're grateful to you as well for the for the kind of game that you brought that that you showed, and all those. Uh, they, by, by example, you showed people how to play this game. So we appreciate you for that, Sean, and we appreciate you, Noel. Sid and I appreciate you for coming yes. on our show. Salama, thank you guys. So yeah, Marami salamat <laughs> to you, Sean. Salamat talaga, Sean. And then Noel always says this, you know, it's called an eternity of basketball, but we do have to end at a certain point. So, uh, you know, <laughs> so now we're going to do that right now. So that's episode 26 of an eternity of basketball. What a great episode this was with, awesome. with our kababayan. He's our kababayan. That's Sean Chambers. From the Alaska Aces, the resident import, Mr. 100%. And uh, on behalf of uh, Sean, of course, Sid Ventura, Noel Zarate, ang aking mga kasama dito sa eternity of basketball. Ako po si Charlie Kuna, nagpapaalam na sa biyernes po. We have our next episode, 6 p.m., no? Noel, tama ba? Yeah. Um, at 6 p.m., right? Yo, is it 6 p.m.? Yeah. 6 p.m., yeah. I think we're going to have someone from the Toyota franchise. So we'll announce it on the Facebook page. Yes. Please stay tuned for that. So pakitabayan uh, uh, na lang po sa ating page. Thanks a lot, Sean. We'll see you soon. All right, thank, thank you, Sean. Bye-bye, Stay guys. safe. Thank you so much. Bye. That concludes this episode of An Eternity of Basketball. As a reminder for this show and others like it and projects like it, go to globallyballin.com as well as follow Globally Ballin on all social media, including facebook.com slash globallyballin, Twitter at globallyballin, and Instagram. You can also follow this show directly at An Eternity of Basketball on Instagram or facebook.com slash an eternity of basketball. Thank you, and make sure to catch next week's episode.